Eleanor without a bar. Welcome to 3PNR. I'm your host, Adam R. And joining me again for this episode, we have Detective Jason White, Leslie Gillieri, and Sandy Mendez. How's everybody doing? Great. It's great to be here. Good. The topic today, um, making a murderer, Stephen Avery. And, uh, and so do I really, before I even say it, uh, Brendan, they didn't really make a murderer on that. I, I, I don't even want to put his name associated with making a murderer because that kid, in my opinion, has zero to do with anything. Like, <laughs> so before we get into that, I was telling you guys in pre-podcast, I was going to open up with something. Uh, news media. There's a lot of irresponsibility in the news media. Now, let's, I want to start by saying Steve Avery, whether he's innocent or guilty, before he even got to a courtroom, he in the eyes of the public, he's guilty. You know, these people did not give him a fair shot at all. This is becoming a common thread with a lot of these high-profile cases where uh, opinions are formed publicly, and it, it makes me feel like the system's failing because you're not allowing a, a, a pure jury, a clean jury to come in. Uh, a lot of these people, and there's a, that juror in this in this uh, series we saw where he felt the same thing. He's like, there's a lot of bias there. I don't, I don't think they were going to let this guy go one way or the other. But I'm going to let you guys hear this clip from that from that series. This is the perfect Dateline story. It's a story with a twist. It grabs people's attention. There's a man who was found innocent, you know, after 18 years in prison, and now, oh my gosh, he could be back in jail for a crime he really did commit. Right now, um, murder is hot. That's what everyone wants. That's what the competition wants. And we're trying to beat out the other networks to get that. So, as you can hear there, murder is hot. This is a Dateline NBA, a Dateline producer. Murder mm-hmm. is hot. When I hear this, it lets me know that the people that produce these shows and these news media, they don't give a shit about the people involved or even the case. Murder is hot. We got to sell it. And, and no better way to do it than to get this really good story where this guy was in prison and he wasn't guilty there, but we know he's guilty here. And what her, what that statement, the message conveyed to the to the general public is, this guy did it, and it's a great story. Thank, I mean, so thank God Netflix jumped on board and and made the docu series, and these people that were making the film were involved with it. Uh, it it's tough. So I'm going to start. We'll start with Leslie. So you watch it. You're a true crime writer. Uh, what are your thoughts so far? Well, I think as a true crime writer, one of the things as I decided to write my book was knowing that there is an interest by the public in crime. I'm not sure what the allure is, if it's just interest in uh, the psychology of what creates a criminal, uh, the mystery of who did it. But there's definitely just a general interest and curiosity about crime. Um, I think as far as the media is concerned, what I have noticed personally uh, is that there is no neutral journalism anymore, that I used to think that reporters were reporting on events, right? And they weren't there to 
commentate about what they thought about the event unless they were doing the editorial portion of a newscast. But now it seems to me that anytime someone steps in front of a camera, that their motivation isn't about reporting. It's about looking at the event and then putting their bent as to everything about it, whether they uh, think in terms of crime, whether they think someone's responsible or trying to get their viewers um, make it more salacious, I guess you would say, making the news not to report an event, but to make it and generate more interest and um, either by sharing their own view or by just um, focusing on area of the event that they think will sensationalize it. So when we have looked at these cases, especially this one and, and the last one, we've seen how much the news media has just decided for themselves um, what's going on rather than reporting on what happened. And um, my view from the first episodes was they definitely painted the Avery family as sort of a substandard, I guess, if you will, uh, just this family that didn't fit in, wasn't quite like everybody else, unlikable, um, group of people and sort of painted them as um, less than in the community. So then when they originally uh, arrested Stephen Avery on the first crime, uh, everyone seemed to rally behind the idea, oh, this guy must have done it because after all, you know, the family. So so I just think from the get-go, it started that sort of a view of how the whole crime and everything else that happened afterwards, how it was focused on um, the guilt of the Avery, Stephen Avery and the Avery family, really. Yeah. You know, in, in another thing, too, there's this uh, interview where the girl's missing. Uh, her body's not found yet. They're quest- uh, there's a news team at Steve Avery's house because at that time, uh, they know she, he was the last stop. And in this news clip, I'm watching him speak to him. And he, he's not using any kind of, uh, uh, like his body language didn't have any kind of cues of, of their being nervous or, or scared. It, it was, you could see in his face, he was just anguished. He was aggravated. So like he knew. He knew he's being targeted. And unfortunately, yeah, did he have a questionable past? Sure. He had some arrests. Uh, you know, some things in his past, you know, the cat incident. Uh, a breaking and entry where he went to jail for, but he, it just, again, I don't know how they're going to draw the line from that to murderer, right? It's scary business. And through the whole series, who I felt terrible for is Jason, detective Jason white. He did. So you're, you're a homicide detective. Uh, I'm sure when you were watching this series and watching how the cops approach it, you were in cringe the whole time. Well, I was. I, I that's one of the reasons that I'm 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 excited that we're first of all, hello to everybody and, and I'm glad to be here once again. Uh I I hope that you guys were just glued to the television set and watching this case because it's got a lot of twists and turns and 
In my opinion, I thought a lot of great points that were that were brought forth by the defense. Of course, the documentary is defense minded. That's certainly not my arena. I'm more towards the prosecution side. But uh, really, I'm towards doing the right thing side. And and that's really where we all should be. Uh, I would say that in particular in this in this case, one of the things that's fascinating to me is that. You have such, you know, every, the 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 media backlash or that just the just the commentary that's been going on since this has been airing is that it's they haven't aired anything about the prosecution side or it's all defense uh, defense sided, etc. And I don't think that that's true. I think that I think that the prosecution side and all of the people, if you watch the end of every one of these episodes, it's got a it's got 50 people listed on there uh, that they reached out to and tried to get comment from them and and they had every opportunity to be a part of this if you think about it ken kratz was all about uh spinning some kind of a deal at the very beginning of this by doing some irresponsible uh news media basically interviews at the very onset of this thing which i thought was just crazy uh and and i think that they deserve a lot of the criticism that they've gotten and a lot of the uh basically the public having some serious doubts as to whether or not Steve Avery and Brendan Dassey are guilty of this case, uh, whether they are or not, I, I will tell you, and we'll get into this, I'm sure, a lot more deeper. Uh, but for me to answer your question as a police officer and as a detective, you know, I'm not perfect. I mean, if I came in here and I just told you that everything we did was absolutely perfect, then I would be lying to you. And that's that's not what I'm here to do. Uh, we do the best that we can with what we have. We try to get as many pieces to the puzzle to be able to to show what happened and and rarely do we have all the pieces to the puzzle and in this particular case i think that there was and once again i'm not i'm not i'm not saying at the end of the day uh you know there's only there's only you know god knows what happened teresa hallbach uh is no longer here she knows what happened uh and the killers or killer knows what happened uh we all can sit here and armchair quarterback this to death and find things on both sides uh but like I said, I, there are some things that are really troubling to me in reference to the the way that the police handled this entire investigation, and uh, and that and that starts with first of all, Manitowoc County should have probably never even been involved, and and actually for them to have mentioned that at the beginning of the investigation, I was actually kind of impressed that uh, that they recognized that there may be a conflict of interest there, and uh, I thought that that was really a, a good thing on their part, but you know they they. If if they hadn't interjected themselves in this investigation, I think there would have been a lot less questions all the way around. I agree. But, uh, there's a lot of yeah. There's a lot of stuff to unpackage here. I'm sure we're going to dive into a ton of it. Uh, I, I will just say for me specifically, uh, for the people that are going to listen to this, that uh, you know, in no way, shape, or form, am I am I an expert of this case or any of the others for that matter? I I, I just want to. There are some things that I think that that I certainly identified for myself. That, that I'm definitely going to uh, mention throughout this podcast. And, uh, and I, I said this pre, pre before we spoke is that I think that any case really should be able to stand some scrutiny. Uh, I, I, I think that, you know, if they're, if they feel so strongly about their case, then they should be able to have an answer for, for, for any of the scrutiny that comes their way. And, and in this particular case, I think there's plenty of it to, to go around. Uh, but anyway, like I said, I think it's a fascinating case. I hope that I hope that Sandy and Leslie both enjoyed it, and you too, Andy or and, uh, Andy. I hope you you enjoyed it as well, because or Adam, because I think this is a 
just a really fascinating case all the way around. And actually, I thought that they did a pretty darn good job of putting this documentary together, actually. I think so, too. And you know, something you said, I agree with. Uh, at the end of some of the episodes, you see this list of 50 people, Nancy Grace included. Um, they didn't want to they didn't want to have a part in it. Right. So if they're going to say things like, well, the documentary was geared towards the defense. You're right. They had an opportunity by the the. the, the producers to get on there speak their piece make their case as if it like because let's be honest what you were saying kratz is in the media irresponsibly but in the, in the beginning of this case prosecuting steve avery before they even hit a courtroom so well i mean i think what really bothered me the most about that specifically is the fact that he was saying a lot of things that you know as, as it turns out none of it's true i mean uh, there's a lot of stuff that he couldn't prove uh he's he's putting out that that these guys are a couple of uh, devils and that's really not the case. I mean, I'm not saying let's say let's say they did this. All right. I'm not saying that there's not some 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 bad things that would have happened and had to have happened. But the story that he spun at the very beginning of this, it's. Uh, how do you how do you how do you get a fair trial after that? I mean, I, I just don't know how anybody in the state of Wisconsin is not going to sit there and just absolutely be repulsed by by these individuals uh, and and be able to look at that through fair eyes. Uh, I, I just didn't think that the scales of justice started out fair. And and it's, that's just really kind of a crazy deal. We don't do that. Uh, I, I, I would think that we wouldn't. Uh, but, it, I mean, you know what I'm talking about. It yeah. was just absolutely sickening the way they started this whole thing out. And I thought, all right, this is going to be this is going to be interesting because this is not normally the way that we do things. So uh, and and it turned out to not disappoint. Yeah. And then, you know, you had this girl's brothers uh, and fam- the one brother in particular speaking publicly about it. He was more, you know, he's repulsed by these people. And as he look, his his sister was murdered. I understand the pain of that. I mean, it's tragic, but. You would want the guy, if there's even remotely a doubt that Stephen Avery and this other kid had nothing to do with it, you would want the guy. If I'm sitting in court, my sister's murdered, and even though I have this this distaste for these people because they're they're shady people from whatever in the past, if I hear one thing in that courtroom that leads me to even remotely think it might not be them, I need certainty because I will not sleep at night thinking, oh, well, this guy's going to take the brunt. So be it. I want the guy or the guys. There's no way I'm going to sit complacent and say, well, it's what it is. I want to know it because that's not not only is it not justice, it's not closure. It's, it's unhealthy. So, Sandy, we'll get to you. Um, Brendan, uh, through this whole series uh, and Steve Avery, my heart's out to him, you know, prison 18 years for something he didn't do gets out back in prison, ultimately, in my opinion, because there's a. $36 million reason to put him back. Um, mm-hmm. This kid had a compromised intellect, and that literally broke my heart to watch. I mean, so, Sandy, you're watching this kid. You're seeing his interactions on on, one, on more than one uh, interview with, with the uh, law enforcement and investigators. What are your thoughts on, on his, one, his acuity, and then, two, overall what you think about him? Oh, we don't have your audio, Sandy. I might be. Can you hear me? Yeah. Yep. Gotcha. Gotcha. Okay. Um, it actually frustrated me and um saddened me at the same time. So, considering his IQ, so yes, he falls below the norm in his IQ. 
And you look at him, and I know he's supposed to be a 16-year-old, but you can tell by his mannerisms and everything that he probably is not emotionally or functioning at a 16-year-old age. Um, They tend to be a little bit younger and more regressive in a lot of ways. And you can tell throughout the entire interview that he was looking for clues and, and the fact that he was left alone um, <coughs> really bothered me um, that I could not believe, you know, no parent, no guardian was there with him to protect him because the thing is there's research shows. First of all, eyewitnesses are very poor. I mean, the validity and reliability of eyewitness uh, is, it's not very good. Um, And for some reason, we continue to kind of really stick convictions and everything on eyewitnesses. And with him, especially at that age, so suggestibility is very strong among youth and children. And there's a lot of research that shows that it doesn't, take much to kind of put your narrative in there and they'll agree to it and they will agree to it. So every time they would use certain tactics, I was like, Oh my goodness. And I know the judges don't see it, you know, obviously saw it that way, but they really led him. They led him from start to finish and you can tell he was such an innocent kid where anytime if anything had to do with more like a sexual aspect, you can tell he shied away from it. He felt uncomfortable even discussing it. And then it broke my heart at the end when he's like, can I go back to school now? Yeah. You know, that's the big part of this. He really thought so. He's a 10 year old. Let's put it in his perspective. And I say this because my my nephew, when he was about nine or 10, He was in trouble for something and we cornered him and he was willing to say whatever just to go back to, just to get out of it. Like that was his, his, the psychology for us. If I just give him what they want to hear, I'll get punished. And then I get to go back to my room or, or go play. That's what I got from this kid. And I literally, my heart melted because I knew in the back of my mind, that's what he thought. He thought he was there to say what he had to say, whatever they needed him to say to get out of there. And exactly that, uh, no parent. No attorney. I mean, the mom knows he's in there with these questions. Now, I'm not going to fault her totally because if we're being honest, the intellect in that entire family is questionable. All right. Um, there, there is alle- I mean, then people make allegations like, oh, there was incest or whatever it may be. You know, there's compromised intellect. You should have someone there representing them, someone who's not compromised. You know, it's it, it tr- the whole, that whole thought. The whole thing with this kid, Brennan, destroyed me. That was the biggest part. Yes. My heart goes out to Steve Avery. It really does. But this kid got shafted. And then he gets this this attorney, Len, which should be a villain in a Batman movie. You know, let's be honest. That that guy, just upon me, before I even knew he was a like what he was, every time he spoke or made a gesture or smiled, in my mind, something was wrong with that guy right away. Like he seems like the perfect plan. So um, Sandy, I'll ask this. Let's say you are involved with this case. You come across Brennan. Um, what is procedure for you if, like, let's say he's being questioned in a homicide? You, you would obviously want a parent there uh, and or a lawyer, but if not, who? Then who? Like a, another therapist, psychologist? Obviously, if you can't have an adult that has enough insight 
and be objective and, and, and know exactly what's being asked of him. I mean, um, because there's, you know, are they competent? Are they not? And I have to admit, I, I was really pretty surprised because again, this is another series that don't re- doesn't ever really touch the aspect of a psychologist coming in, you know what I mean? And seeing if he was even fit, right. you know, I, I, they did. Yes. They mentioned the IQ, but is he actually intellectually disabled? Because an IQ does not necessarily mean you're intellectually disabled. There's more than just one aspect or one thing that goes into, you know, diagnosing somebody who's intellectually disabled. Um, but they, I would have probably not allowed him to really speak. Um, I really would not. If they asked questions, I would probably try to rephrase it in a way that he understood the implications that being made. Um, I just feel like this entire series was a manipulation from start to finish. And that was the name of the game. And this kid at that time was completely manipulated. Yeah, I agree. Because, you know, at the end of it, when his mom comes in, puts his head in his hands, he's like, they got in my head. I had to, oh, pa- yeah. I had to pause the show, go out in the living room, pace. I-, I couldn't even contain what I was feeling. I was angry. I couldn't even believe, all I could think is this kid, he's 16. Now, I'm going to be honest, the way he was behaving, even before they told me this kid's age, was like what, a seven-year-old. That's that's what I got from him. He just wasn't there. And I was disturbed. So, Jason, I'm going to ask you, you're, you're a homicide detective. You got a new case. Uh, this is one of the witnesses he's put before you. What do you do here? I mean, you, you, obviously, you want a confession or at least know the truth. But you see this kid in his state and his and his mental capacity. What measures do you take? Well, for starters, I can just tell you that that number one, I think that for the most part across this country, uh, we're able to talk to somebody without a parent present. Uh, let's say that he's a suspect, and I, I don't think that they originally went into this thinking that he was the suspect from the from the very first interview. I think it developed from there on. I think after they had talked to uh, one of his cousins or something like that, but from the from if they if they're looking at him as a suspect, then he, fourteen and up is really the that's the age that's the that's the number one age to be able to speak with somebody without their parent present if he's a suspect. Uh, I've 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 dealt with many of individuals that are that are like him that are. Uh, they may even have like a fourth or a fifth grade education. I know that sounds insane in today's world, but believe me, I've ran across people that have a fourth and fifth grade education. Uh, when we're going to go in there and talk to them, I can tell you that people that are similar to him, uh, I'm, I'm extremely careful, uh, to make sure that they understand their Miranda rights. Uh, believe it or not, just kind of a little side note is that, you know, the Miranda rights almost we almost got rid of those entirely. And that that happened probably about six or seven years ago. And the reason for that was because that everybody knows they have the right to remain silent. Even even Brendan Dassey has seen somewhere in his life that he probably had the right to remain silent. And so when those because they watch it on TV, you know, right. most human beings out there know this. So. They say that they asked the mother and the mother said it was fine. 
But then I've also, you know, when you watch that series, the mother's saying, they never asked me. Mm-hmm. So which one is it? Is it, did it happen or did it not? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I didn't really see them profile that in the documentary to put her on the stand and ask her flat out, did they mm-hmm. ask you if you, if you, if you were okay with them talking to the police? Mm-hmm. Uh, there's, that's the certain, there's certain things that kind of get sprinkled through this documentary that, that they kind of leave you without, and it's an important thing, and and even Kathleen Zellner hasn't really addressed that yet. That or I didn't see her really addressing it either. And I think that's important, even though she's not representing him. Listen, if you if you get rid of Brandon Dassey and he gets out, she's gonna she's gonna have a winning case. I right. mean, I I I felt like throughout all of this, I'm kind of getting spun off her a little bit, but I I wished. That Kathleen Zellner, if I if I had to criticize her for anything, actually I've, I was extremely impressed with her. Uh, as far as I, I don't think that she would take this case if she felt that Stephen Avery was innocent. I mean, guilty. I really, I really don't. But what I what I what I what I was a little bit disappointed with is that I wish that I could have seen the attorneys. And if I was the guy that kind of criticizing them and pointing them in the right direction, is I would I wish they would have worked together a little bit. You know, more of a team. And maybe they did behind the scenes. Maybe there were some discussions where there were some phone calls, etc. But I just didn't see that in the documentary where I could see Kathleen criticizing that she wished that they would have done this, that, or whatever. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it just didn't happen. Uh, if I had the case with, with Brett, like I said, we, we deal with people with diminished IQs all the time. Okay. I think, uh, Sandy, I think the number 70 is, if I'm not mistaken, I think 70. But I, as a detective, I don't know what this guy's, I, this person's IQ is going in the room. I have certain things that I am obligated to, 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 to get across. Number one, does the person know that we're the police? Does he know where he's at? Is he able to answer uh, questions appropriately? And honestly, I think that most of those questions, he knows that they're the cops. He knows that, 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 uh, He's able to answer questions for the most part. When I say appropriately, I don't mean truthfully. I just mean that he's able to answer questions appropriately. Uh, and, and I think that he met that. Uh, he could have told you that he was in the state of Wisconsin. I mean, the, the bar is really low, okay, for, right. right here. But we as detectives have a responsibility to make sh- to, to try to, to make sure that they're understanding what's going on, okay? If the person's sitting over there and they're like, yeah, okay, I understand, I understand. Then, as a detective, I mean, uh, I, 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 I'm going to take that at face value, unless this guy, this kid's just a straight moron. I think that in this particular case, honestly, he 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 has got a diminished level to the point where. Well, I'll just put it this way: when I watched the interview, I was disgusted. Okay, and and I was I was disgusted with his interview specifically, just because I was like, as we've mentioned before, leading. Oh my gosh! It, it, suggestive leading. Uh, it would be like, did she get did she get stabbed? And he would say, I don't know. And then they would say, Oh come on, you know. Yeah. Uh, yep. And then he would go, Okay, then she got shot. There, that's it. Yes, that's what we're looking for. You know what I mean? Stuff like that. And and I just felt like I never saw anything for me specifically. And I and I teach interview and interrogation, and this is one of the cases that I actually kind of talk about, and I encourage all of the cadets to watch because this is how not to do it. I I, I just don't like the procedure, I, and 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 here's why. Here's what happened, in my opinion. I can't speak to the Wisconsin Department of Justice or whatever that organization is called. They're kind of what they are is they're kind of the FBI of the state of Wisconsin. They're the state FBI, right? 
and I can't speak to them. But what I can say with respect to Calumet County or Manitowoc, and this is just my opinion, I think that the biggest problem for them and really for the departments by and large is they're just not experienced. They 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 just don't they they don't face this kind of crime in the state of Wisconsin and their in those communities. They don't run across murder very often. They're not dealing with especially on top of it when you're talking about an individual that potentially is is going to slap you with a 36 million dollar lawsuit on top of it. Uh this is way beyond they should way beyond their their expertise. Uh but I don't know. I'm 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 running on. I'm sorry. No, there's no, so much stuff good. I want to talk about on this. We got we got but, a lot of, we got a lot of time because there's a lot here. Uh, you know, but to, to your to your point, um, yeah. When they come to the kid and said, All right, just who shot her in the head? And the kid's like, He did. He very in my opinion, very uncertain in his answer. He just said what he I I need to say what they need me to say because it, it the troublesome part of this is the kid's in jail. He's on a phone call with his mother and when you're guilty of something, if you do something horrible or witness something horrible, that I don't care what your IQ is. It sticks with you. It's troubling you. And you're already in jail, You and there's trouble to be had, and you know this, the future's uncertain. And his primary concern is, who's? I'm not going to watch WrestleMania. Uh, and then the mom says, well, well, record it. And he goes, yeah, but I'm not going to watch it. And so I, I was unsure at that point. Like, well, who thinks like that? When you're in prison, I would be more afraid of what they're going to do to me. Or, or, But that's me and my intellect. Uh, it's, it's well, I don't think I don't think that he's got the level, honestly, to be sophisticated enough to be able to outsmart the cops. I and and to be convincing in his lies and stuff. I there are certain people that that are and I and I I think of somebody that I interviewed once that that uh, the killer was basically kind of trying to insinuate that this this kid is the one that did it. And I was like, your your cousin over here, he doesn't have the. I, I'm surprised he got dressed today. Okay, right. he doesn't have the ability upstairs to sit over there and lie to us to that. I mean, it's just not possible. There are certain people that just don't have that, that, that inside of them. And I didn't feel that with him, you know, uh, I, and I've been fooled before. I'm not going to come across and say, I can, I can tell if anybody's lying, everybody's lying to me, et cetera. I have been fooled in his case. I just didn't see it. I, I, I really didn't. Uh, and I think that they should have taken, I'm not saying that they should have drugged that mother in there. I, 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 I and I and, I and that may not be what you guys are going to agree with. I'll tell you, I, I personally I don't necessarily love having the parent in there because I want to get to the truth, you know. And right. in, in my world, I don't want that parent to number one step in the way of that. Also, I don't want I don't want it to keep that suspect from being comfortable enough to talk about. You know, let's say let's say this did happen, and let's say Brendan did this, right? Well, I don't know that Brendan's going to talk about raping. And all of this other craziness and the macabre stuff that that came with it. If his mother is sitting in the room, you know, right? right, uh, right. Call it right or wrong or indifferent. I'm just telling you that as a police officer, uh, I, I know what they were doing. I I I I, I I'm not going to. I know what they were up to and I know what they were doing. I'm just saying that I think that we has a, we have a responsibility to to do it right. And, yeah, I and would be, be I would be in cover my ass mode if I. So it's me. For me, yes, I'm observing this kid. I'm like, all right, I, his body language suggests he's submissive. Uh, his, I could already tell his intellect's compromised just by yeah. his, his engagement and lack of engagement to cover my ass. I think I would have this guy assessed by someone. Uh, is this kid competent enough to answer my questions? If not, uh, right. do we need to have a third party in here to make sure that we're being, you know, sound in our investigation? That's just the way I think. Uh, well, I mean, and I'll t- let me let me let me just mention this real quick because I want to let the other panelists have time. But 
the one thing that probably one of the more troubling things, and there's so many things to, that are troubling about that that interview that you could go on for hours. But 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 I will tell you the one thing that really jumps out at me is all of the hey, we're going to help you. Yeah, you can't do stuff. You can't make promises to people that you're going to do X, Y, and Z if they tell you the truth. That's 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 not the way this works. Uh, you'll get you'll oftentimes you'll get these individuals that say, well, what's going to happen to me? And if I tell you the truth, will you be able to do this? No, you can't do that. And they are constantly. I promise we're going to help you. I promise we're going to do this by in and of itself. Based on that kind of stuff, uh, the whole interview, in my opinion, is is close to being tossed just based on that. Uh, forget about all the leading stuff on top of it. There, that that rule right there in and of itself is was something that was extremely troubling to me. Yeah. But uh, and they continue to do it, and 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 then and 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 it's not just that one interview. That one's not even as bad as the one where it's the investigator of Limka Chis. Oh, we'll get to that. Yeah. That. Uh, okay. that. Adam. Adam. Yeah. Can I throw in a opinion here? Yes. Uh, yes. I think what uh, Jason has done is made it really clear uh, what things should have been done differently what things were not done according to the way they should have been done but i don't see their motivation as trying to get to the truth i think by the time that this investigation took place they were trying to get a conviction and they were doing what they felt they needed to do in order to achieve that so all of their methods were geared in that direction and it didn't matter what they did as long as they got the end result was having Brendan say what they wanted him to say so they could get the conviction. I agree. And there's a bigger part of that too. So there's a prior to Brendan even hitting that room. We don't know what promises or assurances were given to him on the way to that room either. He, again, his body language suggested submissive, um, he was answering questions in a way where, what do I just tell these guys to get out of this or go back to school? I mean, there's a lot of suggestion there. On top of which, you're talking about an organization where the original arresting cop of Stephen Avery is now a chief. And so the same group of people are in power and in play. And now they're faced with a $36 million problem, which could really damage the department, the reputations. Uh, I think there's a lot to it, a lot more than what we know anyway. Um, so Leslie, I'll ask you this from an outside perspective, a viewer, non-detective, non-psychologist, mm -hmm. you're watching this. What is your emotional state in the, in the first half of this thing? Um, what I, what I messaged to Jason after watching the first, uh, the first season, I thought that was it. I thought the first season was all there was. And I just said, I was emotionally exhausted, uh, just because, and I'm pro law enforcement. I'm pro getting uh, getting the bad guys. So I'm not over here with a real liberal point of view. But I was just sickened, and it seemed like I thought, "Is there really all this corruption?" Uh, when we got to the point where there was already obviously some well, Krantz. You know, he just had kind of a smirky look on his face right off the bat. You know, it's sort of like we're going to get this guy. And uh, I'm all for the prosecution trying to um, convict someone that's uh, guilty. But I just saw so many underhanded 
things that took place and then one built on another and someone else wasn't passing along very critical information, such as the DNA with Stephen Avery's uh, first um, rape case and and when they should have taken a really closer look at what was going on with the DNA. What was it, another eight years he spent in prison after that or eight or 10 after they'd already found some information that might have cleared him and just to sweep that under the rug. Um, I, I just was, of course, saddened by the parents and um they're, you have to admire how they stuck by their son, Stephen. And, um, but so much corruption when they were told at the scene of the murder, or not the scene, but where they supposedly found the body parts, um, uh, that, uh, the Manitowoc. Uh, department was to have nothing to do with it. And then here they are running through doing all kinds of uh, searching. And what I was interested in asking Jason, aren't there some regulations involved in how long uh, when you have a search warrant, is it open to you can be there for days on end or uh, the fact that they went into a pl- house and they didn't find what they wanted and they went back in multiple times. Uh, that seemed a little fishy to me, but I don't know how search warrants are written. Uh, do they have access to a property like that for uh, indefinable length of time? Shouldn't it be certain places on the property where they know that they uh, expect something like by that time they'd already had the confession about uh, supposedly a killing that took place on the mattress. Uh, Supposedly her throat had been slit and yet there was no blood in the bedroom. That was so strange to me because I thought if they're predicating Avery Stevens uh, guilt on having this um, confession by Brendan, and he says that the woman's throat has been slit on that bed and there's not a speck of blood in there, uh, that doesn't seem, do you just pick parts of that confession and say, oh, well, he didn't really mean that, or there's no way you could clean up blood from that. So, I don't know. There are just so many things one upon another for me. I was exhausted thinking, how much, how deep does this corruption go? Well, the biggest you know? thing for me, I'll tell you what the biggest thing for me was watching this thing. When I heard the stabbing, I heard the throat slit, the hair was cut. There's a shot shots in the head. And Jason will tell you this in homicide. Unless you're some sort of expert or you have some technology we're unaware of, that's a lot of blood and a lot of DNA to cover up, and I don't see it happening. Mm-hmm. There would have been blood traces going to the burn site. There would have been blood. All, and that's a, let's be honest. Did you look at that guy's cabin? It's a, it's a mess. There's no way he's going to spot clean. Uh, there's no way he cleaned up all the DNA in that place and or that garage. It's not possible. It makes no sense. And in, in the state of Wisconsin, I, I asked a friend of mine who lives in uh, Madison, Wisconsin. I'm like, that, you know, him and I had to discuss because he lived there. I was like, well, you know, they found 22 caliber rounds and shells there. He goes, it's Wisconsin. Mm-hmm. Everyone has 22 caliber rounds and shells everywhere. It's not uncommon. They shoot critters all the time. But key is 
No DNA at that house. Now, if this woman was killed, dismembered, shot, stabbed, raped, the amount of DNA in that cap in, in both the trailer and the garage would be incredible. There's no way they covered it. Not to mention, uh, and later on, they find the pelvic bone in one place and more bones in another place. And it's it, too, like, I know Stephen Avery's not the smartest guy, but I'm pretty certain he wouldn't leave the girl's cell phone there. And, you know, like the bones would be dug better. He would definitely not hide the car on his property, mm-hmm. right? Covered by what, a tarp and some, some twigs? <laughs> this I'm not saying the guy's, you know, uh, uh, he's not a mastermind of crime at this point. Let's be honest. Because if that's, the, <laughs> if you know you did this, the last place you do is put a, a car on your property and cross your fingers and say, hopefully they won't find it. And it's the whole thing suspect to me. So Sandy, you're watching this. What do you, what's your opinion on it so far? Because I'll give you this up front. The two cops, Link and Colborn, these guys got a lot more going on than what was made to know. I mean, you could just read suspicious activity on their face. They, they, Colborn, whenever he spoke, deception all over him. Mm-hmm. Link, whenever he spoke, you could see concern and deception all over. I spent hours researching this. So but what are your take on it, Sandy? Oh, I, I was pretty disgusted. <laughs> by a lot of the characters um just because i feel like as law enforcement you know you are you know they're innocent until proven guilty this is like they're guilty and let's make everything fit that narrative and they had no standing chance and then you have these individuals who want to come across as being very honest but there's nothing honest about that. And the thing is the best predictor of future is past, right? So they already have a past that shows that they're not very open. They're not very honest, forthcoming, nothing. And so all of a sudden they want to be insulted that, oh, you're questioning my credibility. Yeah, the best, I mean, like I said, if you want to predict people's behaviors or anything or outcomes, you're going to base it on their past. Right. And they failed with, Stephen Avery's first one. So they already showed a pattern of what kind of ethical work, let's say, they did and how they approached things. So to expect them to approach it differently all of a sudden now, of course not. They had a lot more motive to be deceptive. when they spoke, everything was deceptive. They're, they kind of remind me of a snake, right? right? So they love to minimize things, right? So like if it was against them, you know, just, you know, there were, there was, you know, possible human bone fragments, right? Possible. So they, they were great at minimizing the truth when it was against them, but when it was in favor, then it was like, and, and honestly, they loved to use the Halbach family yeah. and how, you know, this is so horrible for them. I felt saying if you would have done their, your job correct from the first place, then you would be honoring Teresa and her family. Right. Right. And, yep. they, they- yeah. And so I was angry. I was angry for the victim. Because there is a victim in this, but now there's more than one victim, I feel like, in this entire thing, uh, how they approached Brendan and everything. And so I'm just like, I don't know how you sleep at night. I don't know how you lay your head down and conscientiously know that you really did not 
approach this the way it should have been. You're not upholding everybody in that community what you're supposed to be. I mean, you are in that position where you owe everyone in that community fairness and unbiased and uncondition and that has never existed. And like I said, the entire career because of even, you know, Stephen Avery's first case. Yeah. When you look at Ken Kratz's facial expressions, when he's speaking, it's so a long time ago, with friends of mine playing poker, I was learning how to read people to get an idea of if they were bluffing me or not. And that guy has all the hallmarks, (laughs) you know, it's the, 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 the chin out when he's trying to be, uh, I guess, arrogant. And then when he was faced with questions that, that had doubt behind him, his, the eyebrow raise and his, his, uh, his he never maintained proper eye contact. When he held a press conference at a federal building as, and boasted himself, with a, again, with the chin up, mm-hmm. at the, a display of arrogance, and I'm right. Uh, the book, his, his confiding in Nancy Grace, his the way he speaks to the public to to make for certain this guy's prosecuted publicly, he's got deception all over him. And then you get into some of these other cops. Uh, there, so there's a there's a part where and, and Kathleen Zeller discovered this where a gentleman was driving down the road, saw the car, the Rav Four, pulled to a gas station, saw the police officer there, Colburn, said, "Hey, I saw this over here." Not too long later, Colburn calls in to the police station. This is all recorded on a documentary where he's reading off the license plate and the description prior to them making it a discovery of it. However, they're going to twist the timeline on that. Right then and there, he should be removed. Period. You're done. Uh, There's a lot of conflict here. Your story's not lining up. You got on the stand, and I could tell you right now, when you watched the the court case, uh, and I'm glad they played it as long as they did, but when you're watching the court case and they're answering questions, now I don't care who's who's in favor, your defense, uh, prosecution, their body language speaks volumes. Slunched shoulders, eyes down. They uh, answer questions with their eyes looking up in, in, in small intervals. I didn't see confidence written on any one of those officers on the stand. I didn't see any confidence on them, and that really, really upset me. Uh, I never heard of another suspect. Did anyone here hear another suspect? I didn't hear a single one. In, no, not at all. Typically, in a in a homicide, the first thing they do is they look to the people closest to you, right? So, Jason, let's go to you. Let's go to you. Have this case. Who are you looking at before? I mean, there's obviously there's this department of people who all grew up together in power in that area, and there's a bias. But now you have the case. You're fresh at it. What are the, who the suspects you're checking out? Well, you know, for starters, number one, I don't think that they were necessarily irresponsible to to automatically consider Stephen Avery because that's the last place that Teresa Mm -hmm. Hallbach was was seen I mean I think if they weren't looking in that direction then there's something wrong right so that would have been the first place logically to start I just think that in when you listen to the audio stuff uh clearly there was a mindset amongst the police officers in somewhat of a tunnel vision is what I would call it to where they weren't even allowing to consider any other option really so that's that's where that's where you would have started and that's what started to uh you know if ultimately at, at the end of the day if you were to if I was to see the uh the internet search information in reference to Bobby Dassey oh yeah uh, I would I would be turning my mm-hmm. attention from Stephen Avery over to Bobby and mm-hmm. it still remains there to this day 
mm-hmm. you know, there's there's more stuff that's going to be coming out in part three. I I wanted I'm gonna I'm gonna be mentioning a lot of different things because I'd been taking notes as you guys were talking and stuff. <laughs> you know, when you sit here and you think about Manitowoc County and you think about however many millions of dollar a lawsuit, what would be the motive for these police officers? <laughs> the fact of the matter is, is that you got you got these guys. And I'm not saying the entire department. I mean, I'm not talking about a conspiracy that's department wide here. That's 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 near impossible to be able to achieve. But for a couple of people, maybe or one person in particular, uh, I I don't see it being unreasonable simply because a thirty six million dollar lawsuit for this particular county. That's going to cause that department to possibly be absorbed. Right. And then it would be under the control of another jurisdiction entirely. I I, I I could see people's careers ending over this. Now, when I watch when I watched the deposition, I'm a people reader. That's what I do for a living. I and like I said, I'm not perfect at it, but when I watched the deposition, in my opinion, I saw a lot of deception in not just one police officer's face, but virtually almost all of their faces when they were they, they didn't look good in the depositions, period. That that to me looked like uh it just was horrible. Yeah, they had expressions uh, of concern, like fear. Well, yeah, that and just flat out lying. I, I, I just yeah. didn't. It just seemed to me like just being completely deceptive. Now, to answer Leslie's question about search warrants and stuff, I at least want to address that. Yeah, uh, yeah. The police officers, you know, it's it's whatever's reasonable. I know that that doesn't necessarily make sense. It's what's reasonable. Well. You know, what's reasonable is, is if this was a search that took them into the next day, as long as they didn't leave that premise, at least as long as they didn't lock that door behind them, they can still continue on with the search as long as it's they can explain the reasonableness of this. Now, in this particular case, we're talking about multiple searches of Mm -hmm. a a mobile home that's relatively small. Mm -hmm. There is no... There's there was a uh, there's an episode that that's on Dr. Phil where they revisit this years later. Ken Kratz is on there. A couple uh, one of the defense attorneys for sure. I think it was Jerry Buting and and uh, and one and one of the detectives, Foss Bender, was on there from the Wisconsin Department of Justice. And when they're talking about this stuff, uh they're they're not even they're not even accurate about there's so much misinformation on this case it's sickening but they're not even accurate about when the key was even found i mean if you listen to mm-hmm. to to ken kratz that was found that first day yeah. well that never that's not the case yeah. jerry Buting sits there and, and and tells him on tv no this was found the fourth or fifth time mm-hmm. and then of course ken kratz doesn't say anything well which one is it what, what, what was it the first day was it the fifth day and it and it was a later date because they said that in court. If you really listen to the court proceedings, it was one of the multiple other searches mm-hmm. where they mm-hmm. accompanied Calumet County. They did a lot of this to themselves. And quite frankly, you know, listen, I'm I'm, I'm going to be the first to tell you, I really do hope that there wasn't any uh, slim shady stuff going on. I, I I it makes me sick to think that there's the possibility. But let's be real. Is it possible? Yeah, yeah, it is possible. I mean, if I told you that it wasn't, then that then I'd be lying to you once again, and, and it's just not possible. You look at this room, and you look at the, the the description of what Brendan Dassey had described to us. He describes, well, at least he's led down the line mm-hmm. of there was a violent rape that occurred in mm-hmm. this room. She had her throat slit, uh, shot in the head a couple of times. Listen, it is not, and they said something that it maybe maybe a, a sophisticated crime scene detective could clean this crime scene up. I'm here to tell you that is not possible. Okay. 
I don't care how sophisticated of a crime scene detective you are, or a homicide detective. I'm not going to be able to clean that scene up. I'm just not going to be able to do it. Right. There's going to be trace evidence if this really did happen mm-hmm. of of blow of blood spatter uh, in places that you're not going to be able to. You're not going to get that. Didn't happen there. It's just not. It's not possible. Yeah, you know, another thing too, Jason. When they asked Brennan about what happened to her head, Brennan, I cut her hair. Mm-hmm. He said he cut her hair, and then he moved. They said, well, who shot her? Later on, who shot her in the head? He did. That kid had no idea. And I'm glad you said that, Jason. Based on Brennan's testimony and his interview, that his testimony and interview versus what they found at that scene don't line up. I 100% agree with you on that. They don't. And and, and so, so when I say all of this stuff, I say this too. And, and then there's other little things too. When you look at the big picture here, I know that I know that Stephen Avery is not. Hey, listen, he's he committed some crimes. Sure, in my world, the crimes that Stephen Avery was guilty of is nothing. Okay, mm-hmm. in comparison to what I generally deal with on a daily basis. Okay, the people that I deal with have records that would make your your skin crawl. Okay, and I and sometimes they're innocent. <laughs> the only thing out of his crimes that really jumped out to me was the thing about the cat. Right. Aside from the cat. Which was a little bit weird, where where they threw this cat in the fire and then they can, mm-hmm. and they did it again, I guess. But the thing to notice about Stephen Avery is he always admits to stuff that he did. I, I didn't really notice. I mean, he admitted to the burglary, he admitted to the cat mm-hmm. situation, he admitted to to pointing a gun at his cousin. Uh, although I think he minimized it a little bit to say the gun was not loaded, but it may not have been loaded. But he admitted to it, and I think he got a seven year stretch for that. Uh, he got the full extent, believe me, on that crime. Yeah. Uh, but 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 he admitted to it, nevertheless. Uh, when he he had every opportunity in the world to admit and say, "Okay, I I, I did it you know, on that rape," and he would have been released many years yeah. beforehand, yeah. and he chose not to do now, that. And- now, at that point, the cousin and the unloaded weapon. Uh, you know, there was she was spreading rumors about him. He confronted her, pulled her off the side of the road, pulled an unloaded weapon. However, they handled it. It turns out she has a relationship with someone on the Manitowoc uh, Police Department. Yeah, she's well, actually, yeah. she's that. Yeah, it's her, she had a boyfriend that was a boyfriend or husband or something that was an actual cop. Right. Which, you know, hey, listen, I think that if you're dealing with small jurisdictions like that, you're going to have that. There's just, yeah. It's almost impossible. However, that should have been uh Whoever would have been investigating that crime would have had nothing to do with him. I, or some, You're going to have to figure out a way. Uh, but anyway, nevertheless, this is just so many things that are, that are going on here that that uh, and we're going to hopefully we have the time later. I want to make sure that we dive into some more of the, the really exceptional evidence that they that we can really pick apart. But this is just right up to this point that I that I think that, uh, you know, if you didn't have questions beforehand, you certainly should have questions uh, uh about a lot of it you know and and really if you don't have brandon dassey's statement going on here uh you know what what do you really have against Stephen avery exactly I mean, somebody said point. it earlier somebody he, said it earlier about that well you did you did adam about the about the the cartridge casing or the bullets man there was hundreds of bullets out there on that property mm-hmm. hundreds mm-hmm. the guy that lived there beforehand said that i mean he said hey and then furthermore when you look at what kathleen zelder did to that bullet evidence she completely blew it up. I mean, yes. this is supposedly the bullet that killed uh, Teresa Hallbeck right here. This is it. Well, she does it under an electron microscope and shows that, in fact, it's not. Yeah, it's, that it's wood. It has wood. There's no, there's no bone fragment in it whatsoever. And when I That's heard right. that, so here's the big problem. 
right? So let's let's speak problem one from before the arrest of the rape in 1985. Eugene, if I'm pronounced right, Kish and Judy Davin, two people at Manitowoc Police Department who have a personal grudge with uh, Steve Avery over the whole thing with the cousin. They deny interviews. They're not. They're not outside of the deposition. And in the deposition, only one really made an appearance. They refuse mm-hmm. to speak anywhere publicly. Period. Right. So there. That's one factor. Now, fast forward uh, to a friend of mine in Wisconsin, and I, his his words are this: If you go to any field in Wisconsin and you don't find twenty-two or nine millimeter rounds and cartridges, it's a slim chance. Right. And then. Mix all this together with the evidence that it presented, and I'm glad Jason said this. If you don't have Brandon Dassey's testimony or his interview, what exactly do they have on Steve mm-hmm. Avery? And at said point, why did they not move on to other suspects? A, a key one, the ex-boyfriend, mm-hmm. Ryan, Hig- is it Higgins, mm-hmm. has her day planner. And, and Kathleen Zeller, and I'm going to tell you, man, if, if I ever get in trouble... I don't care what it takes. That's my attorney. <laughs> you know, if I'm ever in trouble and she's a prosecutor, I'm in trouble. <laughs> she is meticulous. She shows that uh, with corresponding phone calls uh, that this in the day planner, they find at the exact time of the ping of the call, she physically writes in the day planner an appointment with this person at noon. How did this guy come to possession of that? If that car was processed by law enforcement, right? How the hell did he get that day planner? How was this guy at the helm of the search party? A lot of shit was wrong here. A lot. Like, you did, like it's mind-blowing. On top of which, and I want you guys to hear something, and I was unaware of it. I, I remember hearing it. So in the first season, I heard this, and for whatever reason, I, I took a clip of it, an audio clip. I'm like, I'm going to record this. For some reason, I wanted to. It wasn't until season two when I discovered this very man was married to Stephen's, uh, I believe, sister, Right. Listen to this guy. Mm-hmm. This is this is Scott. Is it Toddock? Toddock, yeah. Toddock, yeah. Listen here. I also spoke with Scott Toddock, Stephen Avery's brother-in-law. He said, quote, what happened yesterday is the best thing in the world. And also, he got what he got coming to him. Okay, so hearing this makes me wonder. Now there's this, there's this mm-hmm. other um, line, uh, another uh, information discovered again, Kathleen Zellner. Where Bobby Dassey and this guy Scott hunt in in and around the same area, uh, and then there's another storyline where um, Bobby Dassey sees her, and then he leaves right behind her. And if you mm-hmm. watch the series and how it played out, God damn it, it lines up. It scares me. Uh, there's so so is it so Jason? I'll ask you. Is this an opportunity thing for for law enforcement that they find this Rav Four not on the Avery site? Uh, this woman's murdered. She's probably in in or around the vehicle when discovered, and they looked at this as an opportunity to get rid of a thirty six million dollar problem. Well, I, I'll tell you what. I don't. I don't necessarily in my mind. I don't visualize the police department actually just taking that car and parking it up there on that property and putting stuff around it. I just don't see that. Now, if if I was to guess, and, it, and I'm going to be devil's advocate here, and we're going to we're going to pick a different suspect altogether, and I'm going to I'm going to give you a scenario that makes sense in my brain. Okay. First of all, if you look at if you look at the phone records of Teresa Hallback when she leaves from the property, and and Kathleen Zellner, they talk about this in season two, where you watch her her vehicle, she leaves, she leaves, she's leaving the mm-hmm. property, 
She mm-hmm. drives down the road. She makes a, uh, she stops for some reason. Uh, and then that phone ends up traveling up the road very easily. Uh, well, let's go to Bobby Dassey because Bobby Dassey supposedly may have left. Well, Bobby Dassey very easily could have done exactly what they talk about, where he could have flagged mm-hmm. her down for a hot shot photo mm-hmm. or whatever they call it. Mm-hmm. Then they take, and then and at some point in time, he does whatever he does. I see, and, and in part three, you're gonna, your part three is coming out, and in part three, just kind of a little bit of a teaser, is that supposedly, like a mail carrier or somebody along those lines, came up the road, and Bobby Dassey was pushing that Rav Four along yes. with some bearded bearded guy. Mm. Okay. What the situation is on that, I don't know. But why would this guy just all of a sudden come up with this story out of the clear blue? He knows Bobby Dassey. Bobby Dassey looked shocked when he saw him, etc. So to me, what? Why? Why would that? Why would that Rav Four be up there on the property? Well, logically, it's easy to me. Uh, where would you? Why would you not put it on on the property? Uh, that's the perfect place to put this vehicle because the first people that they're going to go after, they're going to mm-hmm. go after Stephen Avery. Yep. They're not going to think about anybody else. Mm-hmm. They have it. They're hell bent on Stephen Avery. Mm-hmm. They he has made them all look stupid. Then on top of it, I think the other parts of, uh, of the things that they were discussing that were really uh, in, super interesting to me. I'm not a deer hunter, but but they talk about deer hunting and, and basically dismembering these deers and cleaning mm-hmm. them and however they dress them, whatever they do. I don't do that stuff, but I but I know it's like a controlled dismemberment. I mean, that's you have to be mm-hmm. uh, a little bit uh, knowledge to do that, and then to be able to burn that burning evidence uh, of, and, and I can speak to some experience with burning bodies. It's difficult to cremate somebody. I mean, mm-hmm. first of all, they're, they're comprised a lot of water and, 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 and stuff like that. It's difficult. You have to have heat that is extreme. And, and, and that one expert talks about that mm-hmm. to where uh, for you to have that and how he described it, that burn pot, that burn pit, that's mm-hmm. not possible because mm-hmm. all of that energy goes everywhere else and up and out and away, it's not it's not uh, focused in that narrow area like it would be in a in a in one of those fifty five gallon drums that they did find some some evidence that there was some stuff done. What do I think? I think Bobby probably panicked a little bit, and what Bobby may have done is he might have called he might have called Scott Taddock because that's Bob's boyfriend, mm-hmm. and and for some help. And and it wouldn't surprise me a bit. I thought Scott was acting a little squirrely to me on the stand mm-hmm. too. Yep. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I I I I definitely think that the cop. You know, I think that the police might have dropped the ball a little bit here, and it's a little, goes a little bit to that that external pressure that exists on some of these cases where you have the pressure of the media. I mean, my God, they had a, they had a freaking press conference going on after every day in a mm-hmm. small town uh, in Calumet County, Wisconsin, these cops, they're, they're kind of almost pushed into a corner. They've already, they've, they, they've made their call. This is good. The guy we're going to go with. Mm-hmm. And they have to now at this point kind of hope that the, the defense, they hope the defense doesn't see all this nasty porn that's on there. That is exactly kind of a mirror image of what this murder is all about i I mean i was gonna say that i mean i gotta tell you based on that engine search and the the nature of this crime a lot of shit's lining up there you know what i mean like it's the the rape the the but here's the the key element so clearly the the evidence on that computer kind of puts you in direction that's what happened and this this person has the mindset to do this but it doesn't line up with the location that the, the the police allege it definitely had to happen somewhere else there's because there's no blood evidence anywhere inside or outside, especially to the burn pit. Uh, blood absorbs into the dirt, and then, it, like like Jason said earlier, 
the blood spatter, there's there's no expert out there that could clean that place up. That place was well, a disaster. The thing, the thing is, is looking at this, this is the one thing that's kind of fascinating to me, and I and I think that Sandy might be able to, she might agree with this a little bit. Is that I, I want to know did he did he do a burn did he do a bonfire every day over there? I mean, was this like a normal thing for him? Because they would the killers would almost have to expect that he's going to be burning stuff out there. Maybe this is maybe this is Stephen's normal thing that he's out there burning well, stuff that's, every that's, day. That's the information I I gathered uh, from other outlets that they did bonfires frequently as a family, and maybe they did. But but and 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 maybe it just worked out that this particular time. Okay, good. Now he's got this, and that gives them the opportunity. All you have to do, theoretically, if they burn this body up in a in a fifty five gallon drum or whatever, all they have to do is wait till it gets dark. And Steve's in bed, and just sprinkle some bone fragments. the 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 problem that they did for themselves in this entire investigation is basically, when you have a medical examiner investigator or the coroner, I don't know if they're a coroner system or a medical examiner investigator, but when you have them and they're they're forbidden from going to the scene and and they're yes. hearing about it on the radio, and mm-hmm. then they say, "No, you can't mm-hmm. come here, and if you do show up, we're going to arrest you." What kind of nonsense is that? I mean that is crazy i've never heard of such a thing in the world of homicide you cannot do that that body is under the jurisdiction of the it's coroner. clearly yeah. the law and it's not just in oklahoma that's nationwide it is under the jurisdiction of the coroner or the medical examiner's office period and for them to keep them from coming over there i'm not saying they did it i'm not saying that the police department I, now listen let's just say i'm, I'm going to add one more little wrinkle into this I don't think the police department moved the car over to the property. I just don't see that happening. I think that's too big of a risk. I I, I don't doubt that that Colburn ran the tag. I I I don't know why he did it. I don't know why that person in that store would say that. I, I believe the guy in the store. I think he's right. telling the truth. It's I just, just think that would be. I don't think Colburn's got the. I, I think he's he seemed kind of uh, slow to me too. Yeah, so, he didn't have the faculty. But I do see. God, I, I I hate to think this, but I do see that if the cops maybe found some bones and sprinkled some over there in the, I don't know. Yeah, I don't know, but that maybe they found a discovery over here and they and they took the opportunity to maybe uh, throw some. I I really do think that it would be more of a Tannic or or Bobby that would have. You know, they have they have the access, they have the ability. They're they're very comfortable with the area and moving about, and nobody would think twice about seeing them doing anything out there on the property anyway. Well, a couple, uh, a couple of points. I just sent you guys a picture via text of a uh, a crematory machine, and even that is not guaranteed a hundred percent to incinerate everything. Yeah, and that's the top of the yeah. line. So the so back to the other thing with the cop. Um, I think a few things happen here. If I if I had to lay it out of my mind, um, I think something happened with Teresa, whether it be Scott or or, or uh, Bobby. And opportunity hit them to, per se, move the vehicle to, to Steve's property. Because it's very evident to me that Scott had distaste for Steve before this. Mm-hmm. Very evident. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's allegations of uh, some inappropriate behavior between Steve and his nephews, whether that be true or not. I, that's why I'm not going to speak in length of it right now. Because that's hearsay. And I can't take it to court. So... There is motive from uh, several parties to to implicate Steve. Uh, did I think the officer saw the car that night? I think he did. I think he ran tags. I think he left. 
I think Jason's right. I don't think he has the mental capacity to sit there and say, well, let me call in and get some people here. He probably ran a tag, called, and then opportunities. Somewhere in all of this timeline, opportunities was seized. Uh, you know, here's his vehicle. We found the body. Um, who moved the vehicle? That's that's the key to this whole story. Who moved that vehicle to that location? And, and you, now, let's say hypothetically say someone from the Avery family is guilty. They have car crushers in the property. They have uh, ex- excavate. They have big machines. They could have buried that. That car would never be found. If they wanted that car gone after a murder, Steve Avery. Now, I'm not, again, we're not going to say Steve Avery's a mastermind, but I think he'd be smart enough to use machinery on, the, on a property to both crush the car re- and remove its tags and bury it. Listen, why in the world would he even, even consider doing this? He's, he's at the time... He stood to get. He was going to get some. He was going to get millions of dollars. Yes. He he was kind of forced into a corner because he needed money for a defense attorney at that moment. That's the only reason why he had to settle for four hundred grand. Right. Which, by yeah. the way, most of that money disappeared anyway immediately because of the the attorney situation. He yeah. was going to make millions. Mm-hmm. There's no way in the world to me that you can convince me that he that he's going to that there's any kind of a reason why he's going to rape and and do his thing with Teresa mm-hmm. Hallbach. I just don't see it. I mean, right. he's standing to get life-changing money at the end of the day. So that's just my thought. I agree. I agree wholeheartedly. You know, the other thing, too, is when you watch the proceedings in court and you're paying attention to uh, the the brother of Hallbach, Teresa Hallbach, uh, when they're questioning some of these people on the stand and they're, and they're casting these bit of doubt, you start to see a shred of doubt in his face, especially when it concerned Brendan Dassey. There's, I mean, I don't think there was a single person in, outside of the people that were petitioning to keep him in there, right? And then that's just ignorance at that point. You didn't really evaluate the story. But there's a, here's the big problem. Uh, Brandon Dassey's case is overturned twice, two different times. Uh, hmm. Then they turn around and they kept him in. Now, why did they do that? I think the state and local law enforcement and other political figures recognize that the law forget thirty six million dollars. They if they release Brandon Dassey because of of any kind of uh, circ- evidence that didn't line up or or he just didn't do it, it's the Steve Avery case and 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 you know Kathleen Zellner, it's done. She's going mm-hmm. to roast everyone that because I can tell you now, if you watch what Kathleen did with her team and how they 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 did the blood spatter testing in the car. Uh, they did the, the testing on the forensics on the bullets. She is on point. And there was no way they wanted her in court. They did not want to get to the point where that woman sat in a courtroom mm-hmm. because I I feel like, and, and to Jason's point, she would not defend someone if they're guilty. I could sense that about her. But even if they were, I feel like she'd get them off. She's that good. You know what I mean? Sandy, you're watching the show. You're watching Kathleen Zellner. You're watching how that played out. What are your thoughts on her? I like the fact that she keeps a very open mind, even when people are criticizing this and the other, she doesn't get emotional about it. She keeps objective. She approaches it in that manner. She thinks about, you know, maybe it could be this, maybe it could be that. So she's constantly looking from different angles, which is great. Unlike I can tell you the police officers that had uh, tunnel vision, you know, focused on one thing. And the thing is what, makes me mad is that even from a psychologist standpoint, you look at the type of people that Brendan and Steve are, 
if you're going to rape a woman, we all know that's about power. They do not come across as individuals that want to put forth force, power. That's not them at all. And, you know, Jason, you're right. He was looking at gaining so much. He had so much going for him. Why all of a sudden? Because he just wanted to get some, as as Brendan said. No, he had a gruffle. He That aspect of his life was fulfilled. And even the way how he approached even the girlfriends that he had, there's nothing about the way he spoke to them, even his mother. Because I can tell you from working in prison, you want to know what really these inmates are like is listen to the conversations with their family. You will see their antisocial personalities flare. And he's never talked to his mom, never in a manner in which I could even suggest like, that he's trying to put down, use force, aggression, even when um, when the brother-in-law starts yelling at him on the phone and <clears throat> he's yelling at him and he still doesn't like, he's like, well, you know, he keeps his calm. He keeps his cool. If you're going to have a violent individual, because what they did was violent, right? So what they're saying, this is, a lot of violence and aggression and personal and it's about power they don't have it they don't live their nothing about the way they go about their lives actually speak to that look at brendan do you see him being very forceful no he you can totally tell he can't make a decision unless his mom tells him yeah you know i'm glad you said that i really am glad you said that the conversations between him and his mother, and, and these are supposed to be the more intimate f- phone calls where they're one-on-one. No one's really parading around them. And all I can think is this. I mean, come on. Yeah. Come on. <laughs> Exactly. Exactly. And and they didn't question this. Now, if you look at Scott Toddick, he flies off the the handle pretty quick. And then talk about deviant sexual and even behaviors, anything. I mean, Lord, I mean, I don't know how they can look at Bobby and say, wow, there's so much deviance in his thinking and what he likes. And that is violent. So you, I mean, you have two people that actually show more violence than Stephen Brendan do. You know, on that point, there's a couple of clips of Bobby speaking with uh, with prosecution, and yeah. if you ex- if you look, so in one that stood out to me, when you see the body language he exam he he uh, demonstrates when he knows cameras are on, he turns, looks over his shoulder, notices cameras on him, and his shoulders begin to drop as if wow, they they see me. And he vacated the location, right? Another big... T- it's a, it, this is the one that really ate me alive. And we were discussing it earlier. We'll, we'll touch on it now. Len Kinchinski. What is this oh. guy? Outside of a villain from a comic book, what is this guy? Through the whole series, <laughs> through the entire time, he held more personal conversations with prosecution than he did with the, the attorneys for Steve Avery. I didn't see him interact with Steve Avery's attorneys at, at, at any point. 
I don't see any transcription. I don't see any. I went through. So I I made it my point to go through as much coverage on YouTube and other and other anywhere I could to find him interact with Steve Avery's attorneys. It does not exist. And you would think if you're defending Brandon Dassey, you would want to kind of that would be the people you hold conversation with. Well, where are you guys at? He was with prosecution, with law enforcement. He, I'm, I'm going to say this on here. He's a plant. He was put in yeah. play, no doubt. Oh yeah, oh yeah. <laughs> and then you got listen. Sometimes, climbing. sometimes, sometimes, just just to give you a little bit of an idea, sometimes attorneys are are kind of put in to be certain people's clients. I mean, I'm, I'm sorry, they're representatives. Not, 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 not to pull some shady stuff. Okay. That's not the, that's not the point. Although in this particular case, I think that that's maybe the reason why he was put there. Okay. Mm-hmm. I, I'm not going to say that's not. They put him there because he's incompetent probably and because they're going to be able to, uh, have him help them. And that's, that's, that's why he was there. Any, any attorney worth a dime is never going to allow what happened. Ever. I, I agree. And top it off, he was in he was uh at that point in time was looking to become a judge. And imagine uh, if you're looking to become a judge in a state, well, who better have on your team than prosecution form and drug judges, law enforcement, the incentives are all on the other side for this guy. Mm-hmm. You know, and what kills me is that this he has his kid in his in his care. And I hear the phone calls of the mom saying this guy Len's coming on. And when they said that, ironically, they have an image of this guy walking up and speaking. And that smile, just something uh-huh. about him reminds me of a villain from like Batman. Like this guy's like, he, like you ever watch uh, like a movie and they haven't introduced the villain yet. And then you see the guy and you're like, oh, I'm not sure. That's the guy. Guaranteed. Yeah. That's the guy. You My, know? That cynical, <laughs> slimy smile. Yes. He was such a, he, and you could see it. He's, he, deception is his lifestyle. You know, later on, he's uh, he gets charges for for stalking other employees at the courthouse. He meows. Did you hear this? He meows at people, females as they walk by. Meows. And this guy wants to be a judge. <laughs> it's a so, joke. Uh, it, the thing is, I I kind of feel like a lot of these men actually on that side, meaning even look at Ken Kratz and you know where he has all the domestic violence victims, and he kind of. Praise yeah. upon them. For me, if you look at those, you know they're they're like almost borderline misogynistic. You know they're egotistical, um, they're narcissistic, and they have antisocial aspects to them. And so I'm just like, wow, they fit a better profile of a villain than the actual, you know, Brendan and and Steve. Right. So let me ask you, Sandy. You see the interview with uh, what is this? O'Kelly. Yeah. So his investigator, who I have got to say is probably one of the more incompetent investigators I've ever witnessed, right? Because the guy was so <laughs> laxadaisical. He has Brennan with a bunch of photos on his desk. Uh, you know, the ribbon to make the kid to have. A, he wanted an emotional response from the kid. Let's be honest. Nothing in that investigation spoke for defense of, right? They were definitely coercing him to to admit to crime. These photos weren't there. Like, if this is your defense attorney, like, if this was, all right, I'm going to put it this way. If Len was my defense attorney, and then he says, I need you to go to room my investigator, and I go into that room, and I see pictures of what I think are implications of crime, 
He's fired immediately. And then when the kid tried to discharge the attorney, the judge, and that judge, made, that made my skin crawl. That pissed mm-hmm. me off. He, the kid stating, I don't want him for an attorney. And the kid lacks the, the mental capacity to really art, articulate what it is that he dislikes about his attorney other than mm-hmm. I don't want him here. And the judge declines. I, I literally came out of my skin. I don't give a shit if the kid is mentally declined or not. He says, I don't want this attorney, period. You're gone. And then he's asked, well, did, is the attorney okay with you? How do you feel about him? And the kid's like, well, okay, I guess. I mean, I mean, come on, man. Everything about that was bad. So they have this kid in the room. And he's being questioned by this this very questionable. Uh, I, I don't is he an investigator? His title's unclear to me because they said he was a, an investigator for the attorney, but it, it's his behavior didn't seem his behavior seemed more like so, someone in prosecution, you know, like he's putting this, these things in front of this kid for emotional response. And so, Sandy, I'll ask you this: You're you work with prisoners? I'm sure yeah. some of them have questionable IQs. When they're in a room and you're presenting this kind of evidence for them and you're speaking to them, do, do you push them for the answer you want? Or, you, or at some point you see they're not answering the way that you want, do you take a, a step back? You take a step back. The problem is that when you deal with somebody, especially a 16-year-old, with deficits, intellectual deficits, they are a child. And so anything that is perceived a authority of power right so like a policeman and so if you tell me it's a detective so i'm going to think oh law enforcement they are going to want to comply so they're going to read whatever cues that they're receiving and they're like okay i need to do good i need to do this well you know they're looking still for that approval so among kids you know and and children and young young people you know when when people ask you a question more than once they're perceiving it as like, Oh, I'm wrong. That means the response I'm giving isn't what they want. So I need to find what they do want. Cause they're still looking for that approval from that authority figure. And Brendan is a prime example of somebody who's kind of seeking, like if you, even with his mom, any, any adult that he interacts with, he has the same problem is that, well, I'll say this, but if he feels like he gets questioned about it or the question gets repeated, you know, they're like, well, no, 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 that's not what I want or whatever. Then he's like, oh, okay. Um, how about this? Do you like this? And the thing is that detective coming in there and planting all this, anybody like Brandon would have folded and just kind of like gone along and he's probably trying to find the right answer looking at the authority figure. So in this, so in this um, point is the detective, right? So he's probably looking at him and like looking at the pictures and probably like, I'm not sure what you want from me. Yeah. I'll give you what you want. I just don't know what it is. And so suggestibility is very strong. Yeah. You know, you fast forward and that same investigators on a, uh, on a stand, you know, later on to get into court, they're trying to fix uh, or overturn Brennan's conviction. And he's, uh, he looks at the blue ribbon. He's crying. And we're, I'm going to be honest. He's not crying because of the blue ribbon touched him. He's crying because he's a, and I'm going to say this because he's a weak person who took advantage yeah. of a weaker person. Right. He's he's not. If you look into this guy, he's not like this glorified investigator that all the attorneys go to. He's a jabroni. 
I'm going to call it out. He's everything he did was erroneous. And so that that those those alligator tears you saw in the courtroom when they were overturning Bre Brendan uh, Dassey's conviction was because that was guilt ripping through his body. Couldn't handle it anymore. There's, they're not going to tell me he looked at the blue ribbon and, and he said it because all oh, the blue ribbons getting me. That's horseshit. Good cover up. Nice try. I was uh, that that destroys me. That entire thing destroyed me watching that. And so here's this kid, Brandon Dassey. At this time, he's in his 20s. Right. They're trying to get the, the overturn of the conviction. Do you know what the one of the key things he's requesting is in prison? Coloring books. Yeah, that if that doesn't rip your heart out of your chest and speak to, to his mental capacity, I don't know what does. You know, and the real let's be honest, the real reason that again, to reiterate it, the real reason he's not getting out of prison or they're not letting it be overturned because it's going to open the floodgates. Especially mm -hmm. now they got, especially now that that state sees Kathleen Zellner's on it. I didn't know anything about her until this program. Uh, I actually had to take an hour break to learn more about her. And when you watch her in court in previous cases and how she approached, you better be ready. I don't care how good of an attorney, prosecutor, judge, you better be ready. That woman's coming what she, when she comes at you, she doesn't do this in like a spontaneous, here, give me some money. We'll be in no. court next week. She takes months. And she reenacts every detail to look for every. I knew right when I was watching her, I said, Jason loves this woman. Jason appreciates her. Right, Jason? Has to appreciate her. Well, well I, I, I love her to an extent. I mean, she, she specializes <laughs> in police misconduct. Yeah. So, so I, I have to be, you know, I, 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 people like her are, are uh, important people. I, I, I think what mm -hmm. this whole case honestly sheds light on is how if you get convicted of a crime, the likelihood of you ever having a chance to get out from underneath that is pretty remote, okay? Uh, if you think that you're going to win on an appeal, good luck. Right. Because it's just, it's it's pretty much, and I'm not saying that every little little thing, and we should have endless appeals, mm -hmm. and, mm -hmm. and every defendant should be able to run down there and just clog up the system like crazy. But in reality... What are we really here to do? I mean, we're we're here to, to seek the truth and to do the mm -hmm. right thing. That's what we're here to do. Right. And and really the prosecutor the prosecutors in this particular case should want that very same thing. And and with Kathleen Zellner bringing up some very very valid points, the prosecution should be going, "Okay, well, let's let's try to find out and what's going on." One of the items of evidence that actually they haven't allowed them to test is the the light assembly on the front of the car. Yes. Uh, yeah. Why would you not? I mean, what's your holdup on that? Why? Why would we not want to test that? Why? Why are you having reservations right now? And and things like that. And I don't understand that. Uh, the family. You. If you think for one minute that, the, and I and I'm going out on a limb here and guessing, but there's no way in the world that the hallbacks don't have some doubt. Oh no, if, no, if, yes. if if they, if they don't have doubt. They should demand that the police continue to look to make sure, okay? Uh, I, I wouldn't be able to stop uh, until if, – if they're just sitting back going, okay, well, we're good. No. They should be continuing to look to make sure that there's not additional people involved in this particular case, you know? So I don't know. I, I, I just – it's to me, there's part of me that's kind of sickened at how hard it is for Kathleen Zellner or really any of these 
cases where there have been wrongful convictions for them to even be heard, you know, and when they've had legitimate reasons, you know, to be heard. That one of the cases that she'd actually defended and got the guy off, it's, I think it's called the Dream Killer. And I think it's a case out of Missouri. Uh, I know that I know that the dad lives in Missouri because I've tried to reach out to the guy just to just to tell him, you know, the, the dad is just an incredible human being. But uh, she got that kid off, and, and it's a crazy case that happened. I think, like I said, I think it happened up in Missouri. But uh, I don't know. It's one-sided towards the prosecution once it gets to a, once it gets past a certain point. And, and that's clearly evident in this particular case. I mean, I, I, I thought that the, that the federal judge that actually found that Brandon Dassey's uh, confession was ridiculous and, and coerced and, and just one of the most crazy things he's ever seen. I agreed with it. You know, I, and here I am, I'm a cop. And I didn't have any hesitation uh, in that decision. I thought it was actually a great a great decision. As a matter of fact, I was shocked that the Supreme Court didn't take the opportunity to revisit that to 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 really kind of that's something that came up. I think it was in the seventies, if I'm not mistaken. The last case law that's even been addressed yeah. with respect to juveniles. Yep. Maybe yeah. maybe maybe they should look at something like that. You know, and 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 really kind of talk about children uh but anyway one judge said and i quote watching that testimony made my skin crawl well and that was on the on balk i think when they had the three judges from the 11th circuit i think it was the 11th circuit well you know the 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 male judge out of that panel i was kind of disgusted with yeah me too you know he he seemed I, i i First of all, the the prosecutor side, whoever that young man was, I didn't like his tone because that's actual audio from from the from yeah. the, from that that deal. Mm-hmm. I didn't care much for the kid's tone. I thought he was arrogant and, and pompous mm-hmm. and just kind of a smartass, if truth be known. Mm-hmm. And I I, I I wasn't impressed with him at all. I thought that the defense's argument was much more eloquent, and and uh, I just thought that they carried themselves much more graciously and professionally. Yeah, he so, he came off. One of the female judges asked a question, and he didn't even answer the question. Rather, he, he reiterated a statement, and he said it with like a like a real. Well, I here's what you need to know. Like he he's you're right. He sounded right. very pompous. So, right, very much so, and I didn't agree with that. So anyway, it just it just kind of gives you an idea as to how the system is kind of. Is it really fair? I mean, uh, is it really? Are the scales of justice even? I know that's a bold statement. Yeah, I, mean, I see you, Sandy's face, and she's like, "What are you? Did I say something? No. I'm going to get ra- railed so, on." No, um, <laughs> and and Leslie and Jason, you're probably going to be like, "I can't believe you're saying this," but I'm going to say it. The one thing I have learned, and 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 I never thought so. Over 18 years of dealing with criminals and everything, I of course they share their legal fight and their legal struggles even death row i mean i saw somebody who after i think 18 years being on death row walked out with her freedom dna caught up and he was found not guilty and acquitted and he got to walk out but what i realized when you were talking about the appeals is that i really don't have a lot of faith and trust in our judicial system at all yeah I have seen, at least within the state of Florida, depending on what color you are, depending on the county you're in, things definitely, it's a challenge. And also in small towns. And so this is what this entire thing like hit home to me was that 
I have seen where when you're from a small town, it's all about who you know, who the family was in that community. And the, and the, and the thing is, once a judge rules what I've seen, and that's why I always like vote to like throw out judges. I don't like judges staying in that position very long. Right. Because they build a reputation. And then you have other judges from other circuits that are like, I'm not going to overturn that one because that's judge such and such. And he is well connected and this and the other. And so they uphold rulings. And for me, I'm, it's it's disheartening because people do think that, you know, the scales are to be balanced, right? And and truth shall set you free. And I have seen where truth does not set you free. Sometimes it buries you. And I've seen so many different things. And I've seen people commit pretty relatively the same crime, but because they're in a different county, it gets way differently. You yeah. can murder somebody, get seven years, or murder somebody, get the death sentence. Did you guys so, know that there is a this, here's a, it, to bring this up because I you know on the podcast I speak about a lot of other sub, subjects UFOs et cetera et cetera and I find this to be odd. Um, we didn't revisit juvenile uh, court proceedings what forty plus years now as Jason was stating. But did you know that there's a law in Washington State that makes it illegal to shoot and kill Bigfoot? And we're not mm-hmm. revisiting like some of these other laws that should be put in question. Bigfoot's protected somewhere. Can you imagine that? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, to your point, I get that. And you know, to to put this across to all of you, uh, why why are they not letting Kathleen Zellner in court to to retry Stephen Avery? Uh, I think there's lack lack of confidence on the prosecution. I think they're worried. She found some good stuff. She, when I say she dug and, and, and created new evidence and looked at, she's looking, and she, I don't want to say she undermined the previous attorneys, but she kind of did, and she's kind of right. There's a lot of avenues that they, but then again, there was a lot of discovery they weren't made privy to, like the, the CDs and et cetera. But I don't think they, I don't think they feel they could win against her. And so they're taking every measure to keep her out of court, Right. Is that your, the feeling you have, Leslie? Uh, well, there's several things that I'd like to comment to uh, that uh, Sandy said. And one, I totally agree as far as the justice system. It It's flawed. You know, we're dealing with people and uh, it's not consistent. It's the best thing that we have. And we need to try to make sure it's operating the way it's supposed to with accountability. I think with the Hallbecks, I think, I think for them to believe it was Stephen somehow gives them a place to put a lot of their anger and to cons- for them to consider maybe it's somebody else. I think actually that would be harder for them to start. Well, then who would it be? And I, I think to know that he was arrested and just be, you know, dig their heels in even more despite what they, you know, there might be things that give them doubt. I think somehow there's comfort in believing that the killer is behind bars, that their daughter got justice. Um, I also wanted to comment on how I felt when Brendan gave his testimony. Um, 
I just wanted to cheer for him when he got up there and said everything that he did and discounted what he had testified to through the interrogation. I just felt like it took so much for him to get up there and do that. I just, and then I was devastated that somehow there wasn't a return on that. Like, okay, well, now we know that's not, you know, instead they just discounted that um, testimony as whatever they said at that point to not give it any validity, uh, just digging their heels in more about uh, his interview. And um, I just think that somebody mentioned, it may have been Jason, about if there's something that comes up that disputes the decision why wouldn't the prosecution also say, hey, we need to take a look at this? Um, I think if you want to look at it from a conspiratorial point of view, that the lies started early on. And once you started with the lies, you had to spend a lot of time covering up the lies and justifying the lies that now they don't want anything to shed light on that. And I was hoping, honestly, a lot of heads would roll by the end of season two, because it seemed like so many people were, and I was almost, it was almost like I couldn't believe so many people could be corrupt to have the result be what it was at the end of season two, um, that no one would say, wait a minute, this is, this isn't right. You know, um, I mean, you could see it on the local level, maybe initially with um, the sheriff and the initial DNA and that not getting uh, brought to light about Avery's case uh, with the rape. And then you kind of have to cover that up. And then and then the thirty six million dollar suit, you have to do something about that. And then once you started doing that, then you had to keep making things the way they were. So they don't want any new evidence. They don't want Catherine Zellner's insights or, oh, that's great. You found that out. You know, they'd like her to go away. And that's, you know, that's just kind of the way I felt about a lot of it. And I did not realize there was a season three. Yeah. Well, it hasn't aired yet. It's coming out. Well, that there was going to be one. I didn't realize. So, yeah. Yeah. Kathleen Zellner is a rock star. She's like the attorney. Well, it doesn't matter if she's on defense or if she's on prosecution. She's she's a winner. And so, well, she can bring stuff to a case that a lot of attorneys can't. And that's money. Yeah. Because mm-hmm. she, she's got she's got deep pockets. Yeah, obviously, she's got some she's resources. doing this stuff pro bono, you know. Mm-hmm. So, no, here's and the other thing, too. Jason said something and it really it sat in my mind. And, you know, and. Uh, Sandy touched on it too. It feels like in the world of prosecution and defense, it's really, it's like it's who's winning, who's losing. It's not really about justice. Mm-hmm. It's not about truth anymore. Who wins, who loses. And that's un- that's a very unsettling thing to say out loud because you would think that they would just want, the- there's been a couple of incidences, and I said it before, where um, Teresa's brother's in court and it's, more primarily, it was it was seen to me in in the the Brandon Dassey cases where uh, you saw a bit of doubt in his face when he was hearing what he was hearing. He seen these guys on the stand and they're being kind of outs as as you know they're 
you know, less than worthy and less than honest people. And you could see that little bit of doubt. But like what Leslie said, they're very invested in the idea like, well, this is the guy and this is what makes me sleep better at night. And that's, that's, mm-hmm. that, that's not me. If I'm in court, and I said it earlier, if I have any doubt in the guy that's, that's being tried as being the killer, even of the most remote amount of doubt, I want the guy. I want the guys. I'm not going to sleep at night knowing that someone's out there did this to my relative. And there, there's no scapegoat. If the evidence is not compelling to me and I feel like the guy's out there, you better believe I'm investing my time to finding the guy because I wouldn't be happy with that. So it's, that's the part I find troubling. Uh, Jason, I'll ask you, what is your opinion on, on Ryan Hillgrass, the, uh, the ex-boyfriend? I really didn't have any opinion about him at all. I, I he, he really just didn't, uh, I think it was a little bizarre that he still kind of was trying to interject himself into being around, uh, mm-hmm. I would love to know what her phone records revealed. There's a lot of stuff that they really didn't talk about. And, and what I mean by phone records, who was she calling? Who are the possibilities as to uh, – I, I really – there's a lot of stuff that they try to make a lot of uh, big deal out of as far as uh, Stephen Avery calling Star 6-7 or whatever it was to basically whatever yeah. to uh, hide his number, to say he was somebody else, all this other jazz. I I really didn't think much about that at all. I really just didn't get a feeling about the boyfriend that that he stood out as being suspicious to me. Uh, if, if he was the one that did it, I think it would stand to reason that I, I just didn't. I didn't feel him. Yeah. Okay, I, I really didn't. The, the, I, I I think that. Listen, there's no doubt about it. Somebody in the Avery family did this. <laughs> right. There's no doubt in my mind. They've got the right family. It's just not. I I, I just don't feel. Right, With yeah. Stephen, I mean, my it's God. Not the, they I, don't I, have the stuff. right people because I, I'll tell you, um, <clears throat> with this guy, Scott especially, yeah. well, one thing, let, to, to go back into it, the ex-boyfriend, Ryan, uh, the thing that unsettled me and I found it keeping me up one night, having trouble sleeping, is how did he come into possession of her day planner? It was in her car. She, Agreed. That's that, weird. That it's, really, it's one of those things. Because he had Agreed. it for the search, right? Because he was telling them this is where she was, and this is like he knew numbers and information. Like how the how did he come into possession of this? It's not like this is like two thousand five. You know, digital day planners existed, but they weren't widely used. So how did he know? Well, how did how did she get into her phone? You know, I mean, yeah. how did these messages get deleted? Mm. There's a lot of questions that are in there. I mean, I don't know. I just didn't. You know, of course, they want to look at Stephen Avery and say, oh, you know, he's he's he's, th- you know, one of his ex-girlfriends, that ex-girlfriend that was on there, that the one that was the one that had alcohol issues. Yeah. You know, she she claims that, that he did it at this point. She thinks that he well, did it. Well, I found out. From, yeah, I found out, though, that later on she was paid cash money for an interview to wow. speak. Yeah. Here's the problem with these these high profile cases. If they're conducting interviews in any way, shape or form, are they getting paid? What are they, what narrative are they being pushed to? We're not talking about, you know, Yale Ivy League people here. We're talking about some people that are very easily influenced. This woman, uh, double DUI, I mean, she couldn't even stop herself from drinking, knowing that the cops are staring at her because of Steven. So her, right. yeah, her decision making is questionable. But, however, um, when it comes to, and here's the thing that kills me, they're painting Steve Avery as like this me- criminal mastermind, he's delete. So here's the questions: Who is deleting the messages? Why was why was the car? If he's a criminal mastermind, I don't think 
I don't know. Did he clean up the blood from the, the two locations we discussed earlier? No chance. The car being on the property for a guy who's been salvaging cars for decades, it's a family business. He could have easily disposed that vehicle much better than what we know. We know that. Uh, this day planner in the possession of the X drives me crazy. I, I still am having the hardest time coming to, to terms with this. Overall, as a Scott guy, if you look, watch this this whole proceeding in this documentary, he's standing by Brandon's side. He says positive things about Steve Avery. He's like, oh, there's no way my brother-in-law did this. He's pro-everything until later on Kathleen Zeller, you know, pulls the rabbit out of the hat. He's like, and he's like, you hear this guy cursing at him, threatening about, I'll kick your ass. And he's calling him a loser. His, and it reminded me of talking to uh, Cloyd, Detective Cloyd Steiger. And his partner, Mike Sosinski, about a, a serial killer who was just you know, like, hey, guys, how's it going? And very normal with them until they brought up the one uh, when they brought up the the person that got away from the one person he didn't kill. And his whole temperament changed. That's how this guy was. He went from being this really loving, caring guy to he heard something he didn't want. And he flipped the script immediately. OK, well, I. I will give you one. I'll, I will give you one thing that, that was a little bit bizarre about him specifically, and that's the fact that he kept ducking the investigator for Kathleen Zellner. Yeah. I think that, if, if I'm not mistaken, yeah. he kept ducking him. I mean, what, why, why would you do that? I, mm-hmm. what, what's the problem with just meeting with the people? And and it, I thought that that was weird. Aside yeah. from that, the other stuff, him getting being involved in the search and stuff like that, I I, didn't, I really didn't see much issue with that. I that, but that's just my opinion. I think that a lot of these cases, you can find little things here and there that are going to make you kind of raise an eyebrow and go, well, that's weird. There's a lot of weird stuff that goes on in these cases. I'm telling you. Yeah. Like the woman who found the car on the property. Yes. Within 10, within 10 minutes. Yeah. And and wasn't it, am I mistaken or wasn't it the boyfriend that gave her the camera in case she happened to find the car? I found that if I'm, if I'm not mistaken, I thought that was suspicious. And wasn't it Colburn that also gave him the direct line to call? Yep. If they found anything? Uh, no, no, it's Paggle. Paggle. Oh, Paggle. That's Paggle, right. yeah. But the problem there is, it's, it's, and I'm not one to speak conspiracy because I, I, I tend to want to pick those apart and come to a, a solution. Like, but like Jason said earlier, it's, it's unfortunate that there's so many broken parts of this story. It's really yeah. hard to discern the difference between who's a part of it and who's not. And, and we never even mentioned the blood vial. Oh, and yes. that's a whole other. That's a whole other. <laughs> that's right. Listen, that's some crazy town stuff on that one. And I'm just here to tell you, I'm not really concerned with the the needle mark in the in the rebel part of that because they've already figured out what that is. I know when you watch the documentary, you're like, wait a second. Well, that happened because that's how they put the blood in there. Right. That's why you have a hole uh, in the top right, of the thing. Right. But the problem that I have with the whole thing is that whole thing has been tampered with. Yep. That seal is broke. Scott Somebody Tate. broke that seal. <laughs> that right there is another thing. I don't care about this test for the EDTA or whatever. It's, I, 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 I know what the test is. I, I've never had any case that would have dealt with that. But I know about it because of the documentary now. But I'm going to tell you, somebody got into that kit, and that was not properly sealed. And that, if that doesn't raise an eyebrow in the courts, that something's up because oh. that should Right. Okay. Any of those guys had access to that. I have a question for you, Jason. Most property rooms, of course, they people sign in and out, but don't they nowadays have uh, cameras? That's so now. That they can tell if. Yeah. Well, even that recent 
you know, that's been for a while. They've had cameras, haven't they? So they. Well, this is going to be the difference between a small town and, 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 and a big city. I mean, in a small town. I mean, they've got this is like the Hooterville Police Department of Green Acres. I mean, there's no way in the world that we're going to be able to have boxes of evidence sitting up there laying out for just anybody with keys. They got the pass key to go in there on the weekend at night Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. because they forgot something. I mean, the access, the ability, the opportunity is there. There is no way in a million years I could possibly get into our property room Mm -hmm. ever and even get Mm -hmm. close to evidence without somebody that works in that property room. First of all, I'm not even getting back there. There's no way it's ever going to happen. So there's controls that are in place. Mm -hmm. And this is is a department here in the middle of nowhere, Wisconsin, that, that, that just doesn't have that kind of – they don't have that kind of stuff going on up there. You know, they probably don't have things like Kalia. And, and different organizations that kind of uh, make sure that we follow the rules. <laughs> well, yeah, there's, so a couple, there's a couple of things. Um, like Jason said, I worked in medical for a pretty good amount of time. Uh, when I saw the hole in the top of that, I know that's how the blood, because it's a vacuum. That, and so there's a thing that goes in your arm. They attach that to it. It vacuums the blood out into that container. That's, so that's the reasoning for hole. I got that. To see the tape disturbed and then covered up with scotch tape, that eyebrows up right away i was like whoa was and <laughs> and you can still take that rubber top to that plunger all you have to do is twist it off that's right and yeah. you can get to the blood so there's no sign of that but that in my opinion okay since there now is a question did we do any kind of a processing on the vial itself let's look at it was there any dna on it from somebody maybe twisting it off i mean i don't know i'm just i'm trying to think outside of the box here like a general citizen would ask these questions right anytime you have a general citizen look at some of these some of these issues that have occurred here you know because the, the, their big thing is hey you didn't even a media people that watch this trial throughout i've watched some of their interviews about this on other podcasts etc and they're, they're they're they think the prosecution did it right Wow. And you don't know the whole story. We don't know the whole story. You didn't watch the whole trial. Listen, I've seen enough of the trial to know that there's at least some questionable stuff that is to the level that there. Then, then tell me what the things that I'm missing. Tell me what. Tell me what we're missing. You know, and and maybe Candace Owens does that in her thing. I don't know, but no, but, K- but, Candace is she. She's very politically driven. Um, she's. I don't. She doesn't. She doesn't come off as an investigative journalist to me. She gets information from whatever sources, because I promise she's not on site questioning these people, going to these locations. That's not happening. Um, I'm under the impression that her her information is going to be gained from probably the same sources, if not the exact same sources, but just with her own spin on it, right? Um, I was told, and then someone I've read, it's very Ken Kratz book related. Uh, the other thing that really troubled me, and you said it earlier, the coroner was brought to the stand. Well, for one, she was threatened to be arrested if she went to site, which if I'm not mistaken, I think not only did they have jurisdiction over that site, but they could actually be the one to arrest a, an officer if they're if they're manipulating the scene. Is that right or no, Jason? Well, they could actually arrest the sheriff, the, the, the head man in charge. They have a, I didn't know it at the time, so I looked it up. I was like, this is crazy. Did they, re- what, what's up with this? They actually have the jurisdiction to be able to arrest the main sheriff uh, over that department. So, that's that's they're the only person that can do that as a matter of fact and i think what happened is she got bullied Uh, once again small town small town stuff that goes on it's a who you know world there and she got bullied and and i 
I, I felt for her. Yeah, I and really then they did, removed her. Quite yeah. frankly, they removed well, actually, her. Actually, I could tell she really cared, and and, yeah. and it really it really made me sick that she wanted to do the right thing, but she was actually scared for her, mm-hmm. probably for her safety mm-hmm. to an extent. Really, well, yeah. Uh, they removed her and, from and, the stand, and, and that, that to me was when they, yes. when she got on that stand, and they objected, and they removed her, and you could see, forget the idea that they did that. To Jason's point, does she care? Devastation on her face. She once again, it was. in the job that she loves, was put in a position of not just taking her power abilities from her, but as a person, they they minimized her and removed her. Mm-hmm. That's, mm-hmm. that's an it's atrocity. A- and so how, as a judge, in, in any one of these judges, if this is brought up in an appeal setting, how can any one of these people, if you apply just an ounce of common sense, how could that not be something that's mm-hmm. a head-scratcher to a judge? Mm-hmm. I, 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 I think, at a minimum, there should be some serious, uh, basically, attitude adjustments going on with that police department from that judge as to why did this happen, who made the decision to do that, and we need to have some hearings about this because that's a big deal. That's 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 just uh, well. First of all, the police department is not qualified to be able to be working that scene. Uh, aside from the medical examiner investigator, who in court, who in turn is going to incorporate the work of an anthropologist? Because the anthropologist is the one that's going to be in there. It's going to be overseeing the excavation of this anyway. So. Uh, not to mention, I don't know, Manitowoc. Why wouldn't you? Why wouldn't you want him there? That's just stupid to me. Right. I, I don't. I don't get it. I think because she would have found some. Um, she would have raised questions about the the, the legitimacy of the crime scene. Mm-hmm. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? I, well, based on her demeanor it, when she's talking about it and and how she felt about her job, etc. I have no doubt in my mind she's uh-huh. got some ethics. Yeah, and <laughs> people that are not ethical don't want people around that aren't that way. So. Right. They, they, that could be one of the reasons. And, I, and mm-hmm. once again, I mean, it's, it pains me to say this. Uh, you know, we live in an imperfect world, and 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 there have been, you know, there's been situations where cops have been uh, accused of doing bad things before. I, I, I I'm always kind of not really quick to get on that bandwagon, but there are a lot of things in this particular case that makes you really, really question. That's really a biggie for me. I, I just don't understand why. You, why in the heck? It's not like you get a bill for their services. That's the way it's always been. It's it's been that way since the beginning of time. Corners have been around since the English uh, were, were were running this country. So I, I don't know. It's just a really weird. It, that that right there is very telling to me. Well, this this is a up. case of small town police officers, small town court systems, and prosecutors moving into the modern era. Uh, everyone involved with this has known everyone since the seventies and eighties. They've all been the same team. They've all the 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 shift of power is you know the arresting cop from Steve Avery's now a sheriff. Another guy's a DA. Uh, the the very shady uh, Batman villain guy was going to be a judge. He was definitely planted to to defend uh, Brendan with every with every well, ability of making him plead guilty. Mm-hmm. And so when you have a small group like this that are conducting themselves in a small town mindset and we're moving into modern era. Cause now, now if this happened, if what happened in 2005 happened right now, it, it wouldn't be cut clothes and, and put them in prison. 
because I don't social, know. Don't social, be so sure. I, 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 I wouldn't. I wouldn't say that. No? I, I think that in certain places throughout this country, I think that things are possible. I really do. Yeah. I don't want to. I don't want to single out states because I don't want to get railed on freaking uh, social media over it. But <laughs> exactly. But there, there are some places. I'm telling you that I think that stuff like this could happen. I, I will say this: when you, the 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 sheriff himself. He could be the billboard of this whole the situation. Mm-hmm. I mean, think about mm-hmm. what he said mm-hmm. when they asked mm-hmm. him, even when Stephen Avery got acquitted. Hey, what do you think? Do you feel bad about it? And he goes, absolutely not. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Did you not feel bad about a poor guy going to prison for 18 years that didn't do it? You yeah. know, I, I, I can understand why they may not want to comment on something, but he had no problems commenting on it. He said, mm-hmm. no, I don't feel bad about it a bit. Mm-hmm. I think that, basically he's insinuated that he felt that he probably should have went anyway. <laughs> yeah. If it isn't for this, it's for something else. We just mm-hmm. happened to get him for that. You know, he mm-hmm. didn't do this one, but he needed to go anyway. It's a I don't real, know. That's just it, my opinion. It, it's a real case. It's personal. It's very personal. Not to mention they did have, again, we, to reiterate it, they had motive. There's a $36 million uh, damaging uh, lawsuit above them that, like you said earlier, they'd probably get absorbed by another police department. And oh, it oh, would yeah. co- a big shift in politics out there. Um, retirements would have been lost. Yeah. Yeah. It would have been Seriously. bad. So they did have motive and they, and, and again, this probably stems from other, uh, the other killers, whoever they may be to an opportunity for them to mm-hmm. remove that situation. Uh, it's tr- Keep in mind, Steve Avery has been in prison. Uh, he's been, he's incarcerated more years than he's alive. Right. Well, and one of the people that's not one of his frequent guests either is Brendan Dassey doesn't seem to go to prison much. His mother was like, oh, you know, he's got a family of his own. And and that's one of the reasons why he doesn't go to see him. And and I'm thinking, well, it might be because he doesn't want to see what it's like inside of prison. I mean, that could be the real reason yeah. that he doesn't that he's got some guilt going on there. Are you talking about, Bob, talking about Bobby Dassey? Oh, did I yeah, say Brandon? I yeah, meant yeah. Bobby. Yeah. Yeah. yeah you I'm know, sorry. I didn't see until they brought Bobby in, in season two to, you know, his testimony. I didn't know very much about him. Uh, he wasn't. In fact, when I look, I've been looking, I started looking at news articles from Oh, Oh five, Oh six, Oh seven, as this was going on, he wasn't very prominent by his mother's side ever. Uh, no. I was reading news articles from 06. Uh, this guy, Scott, was such a, like, oh, poor Steve, and I can't believe they're doing this to Steve and, and, and Brennan. And then Kathleen Zeller, again, comes out with this this new evidence, and he's like, uh, now Steve deserves to be there. And now he's digging up other shit from Steve's past to throw more dirt at his name. That sounds like a guilty party for something. Because if you didn't do anything, know. why do you need to throw more dirt? They, they, so they cast a little dirt on your shadow. But now you're digging to find more problems with them. And, you know, it seems to me like, I, I, I have to say this, there's a collusion here with a group of people that is unknown mm-hmm. to us. And maybe season three will shed some light on that. Mm-hmm. Because there's somewhere out there, the collusion has to be between some members of law enforcement. Bear in mind... One of uh, one, it's his uh, cousin or whatever, right? Steve Avery. One of his relatives are related to people in that the police department. There's something here we we're not privy to. There's something more here that we're not understanding, and that's why I think when you have like what uh, Bobby Dassey, Scott, some of the members of law enforcement, right up to the top tier of politics, that it's such a blemish that forget thirty six million dollars if the real the real story behind this case comes out. 
it would be damaging to government overall for that entire state. And then really black eye law enforcement government everywhere because it's I, I just don't understand them not letting Brandon out. This kid, I don't how many years of a judge. Sandy, you're you're a criminal psychologist. You've seen a lot of these people. You don't have to have a degree to realize this kid is intellectually compromised. You know, you don't have to have these degrees to see this kid was definitely coerced to say the things he did. He was definitely misled. And even now in his 20s. Who is in prison this long for something they didn't do and still is just in his demeanor and talks to his mom and literally wants to know the updates on wrestling? You know what I mean, Sandy? Yeah, I mean, prison changes you. Um, and for someone being so young and being in a prison as long as he has been at this point, you would start seeing you know, changes in him and he doesn't. He still is that kid that has was incarcerated you know when he was 16 um he's not really developing you know what i mean and he's he's stayed true he's if you look at him he's been very consistent i mean i know his testimony was inconsistent but i really do think that's because he was pressured and so he was guessing but outside of that he's always been consistent the way he talks with his mom how he interacts how he carries himself there has been no inconsistency and in prison hasn't even changed that in him. You're right. It hasn't made him aggressive. It hasn't made him jaded, angry, nothing violent. Mm-mm. He's concerned uh-huh. about ice cream, coloring books and wrestling. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, exactly. It's, I don't know. It's, it, that's the one thing in his whole, Steve Avery, to his credit, he's steadfast on his innocence. He is, he, he didn't sit in prison for years, just, Telling his cellmates, hey, man, I didn't do this. He was making motions on his own. He had no attorney present. He was filing on his own. He was sending letters out on his own. He was very consistent with it. Guilty people, in my, at least from what I know, they don't do that. They might speak their innocence. I have to admit, I, I, their relentless hope is pretty inspirational. Um, just like no matter what, they're like, no, we're going to go. And, you know, and, and they constantly, they like speak it out to existence, right? Like, no free you know innocent didn't do it and i i have to give them credit because there's times where i I think i would just absolutely be i'd lose all the air and i'd probably be like hopeless what i mean what i'm hearing this guy's going to the library the legal library to do research and educate himself on the system and what to file and how to do it i don't know a single guilty person does this that i know of i did so i did some research into that how many of them are going to legal libraries spending seven hours at a time in there learning it, the, the percentages aren't high. They are not high percentage people sitting in those libraries <laughs> that I know of. So I, I don't know. I mean, again, I, to, to, for me in summary, I think there's a group here that are working in collusion together that stem from every Avenue of this, because just everything about the case from the judges shutting it down, it was overturned twice, went up to the next tier. Then it shot down up there. Something, is happening here that we're again not privy to and i really hope some like it should because kathleen zeller i can tell you this now is adamant that something's going to come of this adamant even after all these years and she doesn't strike me as someone that that will just say hopeful things uh like she in other words i don't picture her wishing to a star you know what i mean i don't see her throwing coins in the well and hoping she has resource like jason said deep pockets and resource she had a team reenacting crime scenes timelines 
uh, pink. Uh, uh, what, here's what kill me. Why did no one else do this? Why did no one ping the cells and 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 kind of get a uh, a location and a timeline and and did the blood spatter actually make sense? There was no. Why didn't the original defense team call blood spatter experts or any of these other experts for that matter? I don't, what blood spatter? So, I mean, I don't know that there really was any. To well, be in, with you. In I the, mean, in the back of the Rav Four, she so oh, the, the door, that, yeah on the door, yeah. So when she had them pick that dummy up and throw yeah. it in there with the blood all over the head, and it didn't get near that door, I, immediately I was like, well, well, why did that happen, right? And then they had the hammer thing where she was showing if they killed her outside a car, and the blood spatter actually lined up with that. I'm like, here's this attorney doing the job of pretty much everyone, defense and prosecution, by herself. And delivering really compelling results. It's it's troubling. It really is. So in summary, for me, I think there's a lot more to this than what we're privy to. I think there's a lot of uh, a lot of people operating in it. And there's, you know, small town, small mindset. A lot of people know each other. The only person excluded from this 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 uh this little club would be the coroner and some other key people. It's creepy. So before we uh before we wrap up. Uh, well, let's get everyone's, uh, I think this will be a no-brainer. We'll, we'll start with Leslie. For uh, Brennan and Steve Avery, guilty or not guilty? Not guilty. Okay. Sandy, Brennan and Steve Avery, guilty or not guilty? Not guilty. Jason, what do you think? Guilty or not guilty? My personal opinion, I, I, I just don't feel that they're guilty. I, I think that there's some problems for both of them. Uh, I think that especially when you're talking about the blood evidence and the DNA, and I know Catherine, uh, Kathleen Zellner is doing her best to try to overcome that. Uh, you, you, you do have his blood inside of that car that's got, and the key. Uh, I think that the issue of it's not, it's not quite as simple, just straight, not guilty for me. Right. It's, you have some issues. But I think that all in all, uh, with the totality of everything and, and the possibilities of the Bobby Dassey situation, I, I, I'm leaning towards not guilty. Yeah, and especially with the blood in the car. Uh, she had a team kind of uh, answer that question. Mm-hmm. Uh, the guy put blood all over his finger, put the key in ignition, and it did not touch the area where they found the blood by the ignition. Um, they, and they tried it forcefully a couple times. Uh, the DNA on the key... Only his is found. Mm-hmm. What key? Did, I I have a car key. I have a house key. There's no way it's that clean. It's well, I think what really stands out to me even more than that is Lieutenant Link finding it. Yes, that's yes. the problem that I have. Yeah. It's it's not so much that the the key was found there. It's who's finding it. They should have had never yeah. been there to begin with. So yeah. so all of this scrutiny that 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 the Manitowoc County uh, Sheriff's Office has been getting for years. They deserve it because mm-hmm. they they really they really were irresponsible in even being there to begin with. So mm-hmm. I don't really feel sorry for them. This is a great lesson for other departments and other police officers all around. Uh, don't let this happen to you, you know, because if you if you have a case that's even remotely similar to that where you're getting sued like crazy on something, just request yeah. the assistance of people that don't have that 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 problem, you know. Agreed. You yeah. know, and, and another thing too, again, for the Averys and. While the eight days or this search were being conducted, I would have had a third party. I would have already been with an attorney and had an investigator alongside that. I would never allow them on my property unsupervised. Yeah. Whether it be Manitowoc County or any other county. If I'm under question for a murder, you better believe I want representation on that search. 
whether it be in the form of a private investigator, an attorney, or a team thereof. And this also tells me, and that's by me saying that, these are no criminal masterminds. You know what I mean? Because they didn't have the foresight to do that. I would never allow my property for, and I think they were something like 90 miles away while this was happening. They weren't even in the same area. I well, if you don't, if you don't think you're guilty, then why should you need representation I, the, the, from their point of view? From their perspective, yeah. For that's a yeah. that's a limited capacity of thinking. Me guilty, even if I know I'm innocent beyond any reason of doubt, I'm having representation because funny things happen all the time. You know what See, I mean? See, Adam, you said it beyond reasonable mm-hmm. doubt. And for me, that's why I said not guilty, because there's nothing but doubt right. throughout yeah. this entire yeah. thing. So I can't Agreed. say if, if I sat as a juror on this and say, oh, no, for a fact, I have no doubt who did this. <laughs> Listen, I think I would have to commit myself because I think I'm delusional. No, yeah. like there is nothing but doubt through and through this so that's why i'm like it has to be not guilty i could not live with knowing conscientiously that i'm putting somebody to prison potentially for the rest of their life based off nothing but doubt yeah especially when you learn the history of the distaste and the dislike between the avery's and the local law enforcement and then you look at the history of the cops involved and the minute i hear who found the key and how many days in how many days in they find the key it wasn't like this key was found in some crevice. <laughs> you know, it was under the slipper. You mean to tell me that tiny trailer, you had all this manpower and no one thought to turn over the, the slipper? Nobody. Come on. Yeah, and I think that in this particular situation, it might have even been, you know, for a change, a change of venue kind of a deal. And I know they did that. But I don't think that the next door county is, is really what, what was needed here. Yeah. You could have really put it over there somewhere, even if it was in Milwaukee or something like that or or at the northern tip of the state. Up in a county that's, I mean, this is a small town area. Everybody knows each other. I'm sure that they even knew some of the jurors that were sitting on that jury box. So, you know, those people, they're going to have to live with, they, you know, if let's say hypothetically speaking, they found them not guilty. I mean, or the the pressures or that God only knows what would have happened in their life. I mean, they could have lost business because of it. I, I don't know. I'm just, I'm just trying to think of the possibilities. But I, I think you could have put that case in Hawaii. And had the same circumstances that because you got to keep in mind, this guy was prosecuted in the media like mm-hmm. it was it wasn't just Wisconsin hitting. And I, I remember in 2005, I'm working in radio. <coughs> I was working in radiology and uh, I was working a three to 11 shift. And I was hearing about that on just the, the TVs there. To, it was everywhere. And really? I didn't even know who the hell Steve at that time in 05 when that went down. I didn't know who this guy was. I just remember because in the break room, it, the TV wasn't for, you know, it was just whatever was on, whatever channel. No one really, you know, you had your lunch, you went back to work. You're working in a hospital. You're not lounging for an hour and watching whatever you choose. And I remember seeing I remember seeing that in the TV. I'm like, wow, this guy, murder case. And I remember seeing his face, but that's all I knew. And so you got it for me, for, for Adam. He's working in a hospital. There's this guy who killed someone. He's on TV. They're, uh, I'm going on what they said. I'm not really taking the time to study the case then. I see a guy who's been in prison and alleged this. And and so in, in small increments, the, we're programmed to think this is a guilty party because we don't know the full, it, not like we know now. So it, it's dangerous. And so I think the change of venue, change of venue for either Scott Peterson, O.J. Simpson, uh, Steve Avery, 
the, so any one of these high profile cases, when you have media attention and you have people, and this is a tribal world we live in, we notice there's pro this and there's people for Steve and they're against it. Just look at the thing where they're trying to get Brennan out. All the people in the streets that were, hey, get Brennan out and directly across the street. Keep him in jail. I got a one guy. I heard it in the, in the documentary. Bullet. Oh, my God. He, I got a bullet for both of them. That guy should be collect that guy. He needs to be removed from society. You know, that's dangerous business. You know, I, if you have to read a literature from a, an ancient book to know murdering your fellow man is not right. Perhaps you should be evaluated. You know what I mean? It's a, if uh, it, I don't know, it puts me in this weird position that there, it's really hard to have a fair, just case, especially when you're being roasted daily and, you didn't hear, and I, I don't want to speak negatively about his prior defense. I didn't see them in the news very often speaking his innocence and what they have for it. I did see Kratz a lot. I did. Well, see I'll tell you what, I, I liked his defense attorneys, Dean, Dean Strang and Jerry mm-hmm. Beauty. And I, yeah, yeah. I, I, I really did. do believe that mm-hmm. they came across very well. Yeah. Uh, yes. I know that I know that they have to say that they're ineffective counsel really to try to get that new trial. Mm-hmm. Uh, right. Of course, of course, Avery's going to say that. But but really. And and they may not have had all the experts and stuff that that mm-hmm. you could have had, but what what case does? Okay, mm-hmm. so uh, I, I thought that they really seemed seemed sincere and and really mm-hmm. they're Prepared. definitely good. they're definitely good at what they do. Mm-hmm. I, I think that the moral of this story, it really at the end of the day, honestly, for for your listeners and stuff, is that because there's going to be people that are probably going to be going, I can't believe they said this, and uh, you know, especially for me, he thought he's not guilty. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> there's always somebody out there you know what i mean but oh, the of thing of it is is that why would you not want to why would you not want to be sure uh it, it's one of those are we are we ever 100 percent sure maybe not but but why would you not want to we should be able to have fun with this to scrutinize a little bit uh i i, I think there's a lot a lot to be scrutinized here we should because we're wanting to get better and and I've learned from just watching this this trial myself. I, hey, listen, this isn't the first time I've binge watched this case. I've watched this case. My wife said no more because I, sometimes, sometimes I'm like, well, I think I'm going to throw that on there and just watch that again. And this is like my oh, third gosh. time to watch this thing. But the reason why is because I learned from that stuff, you know. Mm-hmm. And and I don't want to be them. So, but but my point is is that this is just kind of one of those cases that I think that. It should be an eye opener for a lot of people as to how difficult that road is for somebody that let's just say, hypothetically speaking, he could potentially be innocent. And and I think that there's real arguments to be made there on that end. I don't think that Kathleen Zellner would be a part of this case uh, if if she thought in one one iota that he was that he was guilty. I I just don't. Well, here's the Uh, truth. This is the truth. This is a God's honest truth. And why? And I'm not condemning the the previous defense attorneys. I think they lack the capital to, to get the defense to no. get. Yeah, I mean, by four, far, four hundred thousand dollars sounds like a lot of money till you're defending your your you know mm-hmm. yourself in court. Let's let's be frank. What was the capital behind OJ's defense? And it was stellar. He's never even paid it off. It was in the it was in the tens of millions of dollars. So basically, if you could afford it, you could basically walk away from it. That's what it comes mm-hmm. to. This guy didn't have money. The Averys are not rich. And the, the settlement he got, the $400,000, you know, with all the court proceedings and fees, it was more than impractical to have an, uh, an investigator. It was very impractical to have expert. Expert, I didn't know this, but 
You know what it costs to get an expert on the stand? It's a lot crazy. of money. Crazy. A lot of money. Thousands. Yeah. It could be th- into the thousands. There's a dollar. And I'm really, I don't really, I don't really believe that much into experts anyway, to tell you the truth, because is it, does it, is it really, is it really that big of a deal when, when it seems like the expert, you, you hire Henry Lee on a case, he's going to, he's right. going to go where the money is. I mm-hmm. mean, he'll find a reason to go with, with where the money's coming from. Yeah, I mean, I mean let's it, be real. You're, you're basically paying these people. To punch holes in the other guy's argument yeah. really is what it's coming to. And it's yeah. how compelling one is versus a, so why can one expert charge ten or twenty thousand? He's really good on the stand. He he articulates his case mm-hmm. much better than the next guy. He's very convincing and compelling. That's what's gonna win. I yeah. There's a a show I used to watch, uh, and I really liked the show because they they did their finest to kind of take real life cases and make it their own and change the names and all this. It was called Boston Legal. And when you hear them talk to the experts, there's a one case, uh, what was her, um, the, the, it was a, a female attorney working for uh, Crane Pool and Schmidt, and she had a, a, a physician, and he, not so many words, she said, you could say this, but this is the narrative, you're not going to say this word. He's like, well, I'm not going to lie, so it's just, you're going to say everything you're saying to me, but you're not using this word. And it made me realize that that's an arena of, of people who are litigating and their the, the wins and losses are based upon who litigates better, who articulates better and who proves what better. It's not really mm-hmm. about justice at that point. Mm-hmm. It's who's winning. Mm-hmm. And that's unfortunately what we see played out with Brennan and, and Steve Avery. The state had far more resources than, than what Steve Avery had in his attorney his original attorneys. And it's unfortunate because they were not made privy to the CDs and from, um, Bobby Dassey's computer. They were not made privy to certain other factors that really could have played a key role in, in his uh, guilty or innocent verdict. The cards were stacked. The deck was stacked yeah. against him. And now you got this Kathleen Zellner. And I'll tell you now, she, and I said this, I was talking to Sandy on the phone pro, uh, pro, earlier. She doesn't play games. She likes to win and she wants to make sure she goes in with, a, with an elite team. Mm-hmm. All her facts are checked. She's a, she's a killer. And I think, and, and and to Jason's point, if Steve Avery was remotely guilty in her eyes, she wouldn't take the case. She wouldn't waste yeah, the time. I agree with that. So before we close out, because um, we're, I'm sure we're going to talk in post podcast about our next, uh, our next topic. So we're going to revisit this Avery thing again, right? I'm going to dig into this. We're going to revisit this. But before we do uh, anything else tonight, uh, is there any other cases you guys want to discuss? Because I got one in mind. It's going to be touchy for all of you. It's going to require a little research, a little reading, maybe some documentaries. It's a Zodiac case. Oh. Oh, wow. Okay. Somebody brought some stuff to my attention, which I'm going to share with you guys in post here, that really was an eye raiser for me. I I never really, never gave it much thought until I sat down and read this this guy's analogy. We'll get to that. So in the meanwhile, is there anything anybody wants to add before we close out? Leslie, reminder on your book and where to find it. Oh, The Decision to Kill, and it can be found on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, anywhere else online. Good. I'll have that in description for everyone to find. In the meantime, I'm going to say good night, good day, good evening, whatever is for you when you're listening, and I'm going to talk to everyone here in post. All right. Thank you all, all for right. listening. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.